Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Today we're debating whether or not chronic interpersonal values are good. And we are starting right now with Finding Truth and Muhammad's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us. Finding Truth, the floor is all yours. Okay, thanks, James. So my name is Ahmed, and um, I'm running Finding Truth. And this topic is um, a pretty exciting one um, because Islam and the Quran has elevated uh, Arabs and then the whole humanity um, for uh, in, in a very dark time into uh, um, the pinnacle of uh, human behavior. I, um, my my statement, which uh, should take a uh, few minutes, will go through three aspects. Number one, what does the Quran say about interpersonal values? And number two, what was the effect, what was the fruit of those interpersonal values on the history of Islam and today? So first, um, the Quran is very, um, sometimes it's very, it's very, very brief and very condensed. So I will start with Surat Al-Nahl, the bees, uh, ayah number 90, where uh, it makes a brief statement about interpersonal values in the Quran. It says this, so this is Arabic. And what it means is um, that Allah commands or ordains or uh, decrees uh, justice, ihsan, which is goodness or benevolence or doing the best deeds in the best way or perfection or continuous observ- observance of Allah. So this is the second one. Um, is generosity to those who are your relatives or your kin or those who are close to you. Uh, so three things that the Quran commands Muslims, justice, ihsan, and being good to your relatives or those close to you. And then he forbids three things. Um, um, and fahsha is obscene or shameful or indecent acts. Munkar is uh, disapproved uh, deeds by Allah or by the believers. And baghi, which is oppression. So this, this, this one ayah, and then it says, Allah is making this sermon uh, to you, um, lest you remember. So very brief, three things that Muslims should observe in the positive sense and three things in the negative or the forbidden sense. Justice, um, uh, number one, uh, um, being good or doing things in in the best way possible, generosity to pay to kin, and three that are forbidden. Now, this behavior has been further and further uh, uh, developed in details in the Quran, but for the brevity of the opening statement, Maybe we, we, we will address this later in the debate. But what was the impact of this on the ground? So the impact of this on the ground is that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was a Quran walking the face of the earth. Many people, uh, before Islam had any uh, kind of power or state, actually joined Islam because Prophet Muhammad was a refined person in his attitude. Later, when Islam became uh, 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 had a nation that is uh, defending it, 
and spread over the world, the world, actually, a huge part of what is known today as the Islamic world went into Islam, not because uh, the Islamic nation had access to those places, but because normal Muslims, traders, travelers, sometimes uh, um, uh, people who, 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 who had uh, different interactions with those peoples, uh, and, and the people who interacted with Muslims found that those Muslims have a very unique way of behavior. We are talking about Sub-Saharan Africa, for example. We are talking about East Asia, because Muslims did not go beyond China, uh, uh, I mean, as a nation. So you're looking at places like Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, etc. Hundreds of millions of Muslims today in Asia and in Africa had uh, no contact with the official caliphate in terms of a nation, but they became part of uh, a, a global uh, um, uh, Islamic land because they interacted with Muslims. And until this modern day, uh, where Islam is in um, as uh, um, uh, uh, as a country or as a state is at its weakest point in its history, still huge uh, uh, conversion waves happen in places that are typically non-Muslim places. Uh, where people convert to Islam because they run into somebody who is a true Muslim, he has, who he leads, who leads his life uh, in terms of his behavior as a Muslim, and they uh, ask why this is the case, and they find that the reason is that he is a Muslim. They investigate further in Islam, and uh, they become Muslims. Between that, even the nations that Muslims have conquered and they became they become part of the Islamic world after for example uh, uh, military action with the Romans or with the Persians uh, Muslims as individual Muslims now on the ground due to their dealing with people of those uh, countries uh, those countries uh, in terms of their people converted to Islam uh, many uh, uh, or a majority of them uh, were very uh, resilient versus the religions of their previous occupiers, but they moved into Islam, not only because Islam offers them uh, a, a religion or a way of life, but because they saw how the um, uh, first Muslims who arrived there were behaving uh, as individuals with them. Uh, once I had a conversation with um, a Christian priest, and um, he, he, he had uh, an opinion that uh, Prophet Muhammad is a prophet and Islam is a true religion from God. And I asked him, why would you make this assertion? And he said, because in our religion, we judge by the fruits. And since uh, Islam had these fruits, the first generations who were really following Islam uh, were uh, exemplary of uh, a religion that really defines human behavior. And uh, this was very touching to me but it is actually also very true. So um, in summary, the Quran commands um, in detail and overall a very refined human interpersonal uh, discipline and behavior. And on the ground, this has led hundreds of millions of people or billions of people over history to join Islam and those who lived with Muslims uh, uh, um, even converted to Islam for uh, this reason among others. You got it. We'll That's kick it. it right over to Muhammad, your teammate. Thanks for being with us, Muhammad. Thank you for having me on, uh, James. And uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, alaykum. So that there isn't a person present that hasn't heard this reading before. 
peace be upon you. It's a heartfelt greeting that summarizes the relationship that should be between everyone and everything. A commandment from God to offer peace and to accept peace. And remember that God, the exalted, the great is peace. Salamu alaikum expresses the true nature of what the Quran teaches us on how to treat each other. When interacting with fellow humans, and my brother Ahmed has touched on these subjects, but in summation, honesty, sincerity, charity, sacrifice, justice, forgiveness, trust, and inclusivity is the core principles that any believer should possess. Humans love seeing those traits in others. And the reason why we love these values is because God likes these values. And God has placed the soul from him within us. So in the true light of submitting to our creator, we follow the path that is naturally bestowed upon all of us, which Muslims call as a fitra or the natural inclination. Uh, when treating each other, God through the Quran has taught us to be honest in our matters and manners and to speak the truth, even if it's against ourselves. All the problems between people today is the fact that someone is lying or being ingenuine. Usually when that occurs, problems start to arise between non-believers because of the simple fact that forgiveness is something that sounds like a good theory to a lot of people, but when it comes to practicality, not a lot of people practice it. However, when you go through the Muslim community, even you, David, if you accept that God has brought down on what God has brought down on our beloved prophet Muhammad وسلم, is the truth, and which is already confirming to what you have, and you become a Muslim, we would overlook all the history of hate and intolerance that you, and we would treat you like a brother. And you know that very well. There isn't any other community that holds this brotherhood and acceptance and tolerance that Islam has because of what the Quran is teaching us. Whether traveling in business or even in jail, uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood in Islam prevails to, to our loyalty towards God. We show this loyalty through our behavior towards each other and to the disbelievers. Nobody likes a bad-spoken, backbiting, lying, spying, slandering, jealous, cheating devils. Nobody wants to work or deal with such filth because it just brings pain, shame, and chaos. All of these said characteristics God has ordered us to never get close to or, or, or even partake in uh, through the Quran. Everyone loves someone who goes above and beyond. If they promised you A, B, and C, they'll do what they said and they'll also do X, Y, and Z, only to make you to make sure you feel welcome and, and for you to feel satisfied. Uh, to them, hell and upsetting God is not worth cheating you out of a dollar or even a million dollars. People love those who can hide the shame of others, hold on to secrets, and try to reconcile when people are fighting. These are the, the core principles of Quran. People love reliable, upfront, and honest individuals, and that's what the believer is. Having a good friend to rely on when you're in trouble or you have a issue is what everyone likes to have, right? So sufficient as God is such a friend, and Muslims are all God's allies and servants. Any atheist, Christian, Hindu, Jew, or whatever who has a trouble or requires some assistance, if you go to your closest mosque and ask for assistance, you will find someone to help you with a smile and who will also have the backbone to tell you the truth and will tell you exactly what they see it without having to sugarcoat anything, but in a proper and polite manner. That's the essence of a believer and that's the essence of the Quran. When it comes to people trying to lie and to deceive us, despite that we have the God-given right to retaliate to any harm that has oppressively been forced on us, most of us forego that right and we tend towards mercy and forgiveness because that's the default position of a believer. We believe in God's promise and our Lord is merciful and so, we, so are we, right? Uh, we rely that God will be addressing these issues and, and he will be addressing everything that we have endured. We want to show mercy and we want to be treated with mercy. And this is how 
we live our life through our people. Uh, what religion promotes, what other religion promotes visiting the sick forces you to answer greetings in a similar or a better fashion, to measure your faith by how much empathy you show to others. If you notice yourself not showing enough empathy, you start to double check yourself and fix yourself in the in the and find the reasons why you're getting a hard heart. Uh, now, here's the miracle. We do all that, not for so-and-so to say that, like, look at Muhammad, he's such an upstanding individual. We do it so that our Lord is pleased with us in accepting of who we are. That's our, uh, that's, that's who our best friend is, and he's more important to us than our parents. And as a result, the world and whoever's in it, who has a heart and can recognize the light that's in our heart, accept and relies on us, and we live as honorable and fulfilling life. So we get the most fulfilling life just by following these values that nobody in the world can really debate or say that these values are not proper. And, um, and that light is, and it's all due to the fact that we follow the light that was brought down to Prophet Muhammad, and we follow the ideology and philosophy and conduct of our Prophet Abraham, peace be upon them both, and all of which was revealed by God, who created all of this. This is his system, so he knows what's the best approach to how to deal with each other and, and what to do to have the best feelings and the best, most honorable life. Uh, working with and interacting with everyday believers and Muslims, you will always feel like you're in good hands. And uh, I'd like to pass it over to the other side. Thank you very much for that opening statement from Finding Truth and Muhammad. Want to let you know a couple of quick housekeeping things before we give it over to the no side for their opening statement as well. Folks, want to let you know, no matter what walk of life you are from, we are glad to have you here, whether you be Muslim, atheist, Christian, you name it. We are glad that you're with us. In fact, if you haven't yet, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more juicy debates coming up. For example, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, this is going to be a big one. We're excited. In fact, Naraya, who's a part of this debate right now, she'll be facing Daniel Hakikachu on whether or not mandatory veiling for women in Muslim countries is morally good. That will be a juicy debate. You don't want to miss it, so do hit that subscribe button right now. And with that, we're going to kick it over to David and Naraya. Thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours for your opening. Thank you, James. You hear me? Yes. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you, uh, Ahmed and Mohammed, for giving us the Muslim perspective on this topic. And a special thanks to Nuria for openly challenging an ideology that not only calls for your public execution for apostasy, but also one that says you're too stupid to do so effectively. Since Mohammed said that, not this Mohammed, the seventh uh, century Mohammed, said that women are intellectually deficient. As far as I'm concerned, if Nuria makes a compelling case in this debate, it'll be a double refutation of Islam. So are Quranic values on interpersonal conduct good? I'm happy to admit that we can find examples of good values in the Quran. Allah's eternal speech in the Quran seems to be very closely tied to Muhammad's mood and desires, and sometimes Muhammad was in a good mood and had good desires. That's when we get some good revelations from Allah. But other times, Muhammad was in a bad mood and had bad desires, and that's when Allah's eternal speech suddenly got really, really bad. The problem with pointing to some of the nice teachings in the Quran about charity or something like that is that the Quran's clear calls for the violent subjugation of the world and for the persecution of non-Muslims 
are so horrifyingly bad, they completely overshadow anything positive we can say. In Surah 3, verse 110 of the Quran, Allah says to Muslims, you are the best of peoples ever raised up for mankind. Muslims are the best people in the world, according to Allah. What about Jews and Christians? Surah 98, verse 6 reads in the Haleli Khan translation, Verily, those who disbelieve in the religion of Islam, the Quran, and Prophet Muhammad from among the people of the scripture, Jews and Christians, and al-Mushrikun, those who associate partners with Allah, will abide in the fire of hell. They are the worst of creatures. Non-Muslims are the worst of creatures. Muslims are the best of peoples. According to the Quran, then, Muslims and non-Muslims are not equal. Muslims are the best. Non-Muslims are the worst kind of hard to establish good interpersonal conduct when your God tells you that certain people are worse than pigs or dogs, and as we'll soon see, that they should be treated as such. Not surprisingly, given the utter inferiority of Jews and Christians, the Quran condemns friendship with us. As we read in Surah 5, verse 51, O you who believe, do not take the Jews and the Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. We know that Muhammad took this command seriously because he said in Sahih Muslim, I will expel the Jews and Christians from the Arabian Peninsula and will not leave any but Muslims. If Muhammad himself couldn't imagine living side by side with Jews and Christians, I don't know how we can say that the Quran promotes good interpersonal conduct towards Jews and Christians, let alone towards atheists, Hindus, and so on. But it's one thing to say, our group is superior to everyone else or don't be friends with other groups. It's something else to promote persecution and violence toward other groups. And that's exactly what the Quran does. In Surah 48, verse 29, Allah declares, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and those who are with him are severe against disbelievers and merciful among themselves. Not according to me, not according to Nuria, according to Muhammad, according to Allah himself, Muslims are supposed to be severe against disbelievers and merciful only toward fellow Muslims. In Surah 9, verse 29, Allah orders Muslims to fight Christians and Jews until we acknowledge our inferiority and pay tribute to the Muslim community. Allah says, Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth from among the people of the book, Jews and Christians, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. I've seen plenty of Muslims try to reinterpret this command, usually by the context defense but there's nothing in the literary or historical context that makes this verse any more peaceful. In fact, I would argue that a careful examination of the literary and historical contexts makes it worse. Turns out to be a money-making scheme. Fight people until they convert, in which case they pay zakat, or until they acknowledge their inferiority and pay jizya. Either way, they're going to pay you. This is the 7th century Arabian mafia. Of course, compared to atheists or Hindus, Christians and Jews are the fortunate ones. We at least have the option of paying the jizya. Other groups have to convert or die. But it's not just Christians, Jews, atheists, Hindus, and so on who are targeted for violence in the Quran. Even Muslims are in danger from Allah's commands. In Surah 9, verse 73, Allah says, 
O prophet, strive hard against the unbelievers and the hypocrites and be unyielding to them. Notice, Allah calls for jihad not only against unbelievers, non-Muslims, but also against hypocrites, people who claim to be Muslims but aren't fully submitting to the commands of Allah and Muhammad. And it gets even more dangerous for Muslims because according to Surah 4, verse 65, anyone who doesn't mindlessly accept everything Muhammad says is not a real Muslim. Allah says, but no, by your Lord, they can have no faith until they make you, O Muhammad, judge in all disputes between them and find in themselves no resistance against your decisions and accept them with full submission. A Muslim can have no real faith. He's not a real Muslim until he finds in himself no resistance against any of Muhammad's decisions. This means that Muslims who reinterpret the teachings of Allah and Muhammad or who question or doubt the teachings of Allah and Muhammad are either hypocrites or apostates. Either way, Allah demands violence against them. Just ask Shias or Ahmadis or any other Muslim group that finds themselves outnumbered by a larger Muslim group. So these are the commands of Allah about interpersonal conduct. Muslim apologists typically reinterpret these verses. They tell us what Allah really meant when he said things like, fight those who do not believe. Unfortunately, Allah claims repeatedly in the Quran that his commands are perfectly clear. If Allah really meant what modern Muslims say, if he really meant something different from what he commanded from all eternity in his eternal speech, then the Quran is not clear and Allah is lying. Now, just so no one misunderstands me, I'm only talking about what the Quran teaches. I'm not talking about what individual Muslims believe or how individual Muslims behave. This debate isn't about what our Muslim friends here believe. It's about what the Quran promotes. Is endless violence against non-Muslims and even against Muslims who have some wrong ideas what we, can, what we would consider good interpersonal conduct? Not me but I barely scratched the surface of what the Quran has to say about interpersonal conduct. Nuria, is there anything you'd like to add? Nope, that's good for now. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you very much for that opening statement. We're going to go into open dialogue, but before we do, do want to mention another housekeeping type thing. In particular, folks, we're very excited about this. TikTok allows live streaming. Once we get to a thousand followers, we'll be able to live stream debates just like this one on TikTok. The reason that's important is because that'll increase modern day debates exposure and get these ideas and these debates out to a broader audience across the web as TikTok is growing ferocious. Just, it's off the charts. So I've got to tell you, my dear friends, if you have a TikTok account, I'm going to pin it at the top of the chat, our TikTok link. We would be very grateful if you'll follow us there. As like I said, hitting a thousand followers will enable us to unlock the feature of live streaming there so we can increase the expansiveness of this neutral platform across the web. That link for the TikTok is also in the top of the description box. And with that, we're going to jump into open dialogue. Oh, James, sorry. Wait, I would actually like to piggy off of uh, what David Wood said. I'd like oh, to give my opinion. You got it. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, thank you to both the gentlemen, obviously arguing the affirmative here today, for David for partnering with me and obviously Modern Day Debates for hosting. Hopefully this debate will give David and myself a prime opportunity to expose the Quran for the poor, arguably vile and reprehensible set of interpersonal conduct it sets out and why it's exceptionally outdated in the 21st century. Since we're talking about the Quran, let's dedicate a moment to the alleged author, Allah. 
Allah in no uncertain terms calls himself the best of deceivers, not once, not twice, but at least five times in the Quran. Now, when most of us think about equitable, reasonable, just, and empathetic values for society at large, would you associate the art of deception with that? No? Well, it's interesting that the supposed creator of the world says in Quran 13.42, to Allah is all ownership and he's the master of deception. The master of deception. That's an attribute of the creator of the supposed religion of peace. Not low-level deceiving, but Allah is a maverick, a master of it. If that wasn't bad enough, according to multiple Quran verses, such as 4143, 639, 7178, there's no guidance for the one who Allah deceives. So for an ex-Muslim apostate like myself, if Allah, the master of deception, has chosen to deceive me, there's no chance I can make good in his eyes, through no fault of my own. I'd like to ask those listening if Allah seems like a trustworthy entity to guide, let alone command us to follow divinely ordained interpersonal values with the threat of punishment always looming. As David mentioned, Muslims can't take non-Muslims as friends. They must convert, pay protection money in the form of jizya, be subdued and humbled or killed. Is this good interpersonal, let alone good interfaith conduct? Uh, Quran 867 also talks about beheading non-Muslim captives. Now, as a woman and a feminist, let's talk about what it says about the fairer sex. Muslim men can rape their wives and force them to bed anytime, anywhere, and under any circumstances. Surah 2223 says, your women are your fields. You may enter your field whichever way you like. Two things. Here, this completely eradicates the concept of consent and allows marital rape to go unpunished and unnoticed. As of 2019, nearly 150 countries around the world Uh, outlawed marital rape in some form of the other. Yet the Quran, which is meant to be timeless guidance, can't seem to get it quite right. Women are merely sex objects, not human beings. A Muslim husband can punish you and use your sexual organs at his discretion purely to satiate his carnal appetite. Notice the terminology used in the Quran, enter your field. I can't begin to imagine how vulgar and disrespectful the analogy is. Women also get the short end of the stick when it comes to inheriting. Quran 4.11 states a man gets double the share of inheritance over a female. A woman's testimony also counts for just half of a man's. Surah 2.282 says, let two men from among you hear witness to all such documents. But if two men not be available, there should be one man and two women to hear witness. So if one forgets anything, the other may remind her. This archaic law wouldn't be supported by any non-Islamic court in the world and further proves this political ideology masquerading as a religion was made by men for men. We've seen examples of women being silenced and abused, and we heard from David how it oppresses non-believers to varying degrees. But this next one is arguably one of the most depraved alongside divorcing prepubescent girls. Islamically, only the man has the right to divorce. If he pronounces it three times, it becomes absolute. According to Surah 2.230, in this case, not only is the divorce irrevocable, but the spouse can't remarry until the wife has married another man, consummated the marriage with him, and then that marriage is ended. Some scholars try to explain this gross injustice away by framing it as a punishment for men, claiming men would be so wary so as not to pronounce the divorce because they know how severe the consequences are. My question is, why is the woman being punished for something she had no control or agency over in the first place? Why is Allah playing with the emotions of a genuinely repentant couple? Why does the burden fall on a woman's shoulders? In most progressive nations, we have much better remedies, yet the Quran relies on forced sexual activity with a third party. Quran 65.4 means babies and little girls are not safe either. It sets no upper or lower age limit on who you can marry. A newborn baby can technically be married off and fall under the category of those who have not yet menstruated. 
Besides the truly sickening nature of it, most reasonable people would say this is something of a backward, primitive, senseless, predatory nature, and in no way a good interpersonal valid value system for marriage. According to Surah 4.3, a man can have four wives. It also says if you fear you might not do justice to them, marry only one or marry those who have fallen in your possession. It de facto promotes sex slavery. The clause marry those who have fallen in your possession means slave girls captured after a war who become sexual property. Allah facilitates non-Muslim women being exchanged for sex and money. Muhammad married Safiya, a 17-year-old Jewish girl he acquired from the plunder of Khaybar hours after he had her husband Ginana tortured to death. To add insult to injury, her name was given to her by Muhammad in honor of being his specific portion of the war booty. The limit on four wives also seems redundant because men can sleep with unlimited slave girls. Men can marry multiple, even Christian or Jewish women of the book, but Muslim women can't and must only marry a Muslim man. Even in heaven, men get 72 virgins, yet a woman's needs are ignored in every sense of the word. Not only does Islam approve of slavery, it makes it an important part of the economy. We see that in Quran 30:28. Do you take your slaves as partners in what we have given you for sustenance, power, respect, and wealth? However, you fear them not to share with, with you your wealth as you fear each other. Allah basically forbids Muslims who received wealth and power from him from sharing it. Allah makes it clear that he is the God to Muslims and Muslims are basically gods to their slaves. Allah doesn't want partners to share his power. Similarly, Muslims should not share their wealth with slaves. Husbands may hit their wives if they merely fear high-handedness. Note, fearing something is different from it actually occurring, notwithstanding the fact that the concept of nushuz is extremely sexist. Quran 434 says, if you fear high-handedness from your wives, remind them, then leave them apart in bed and beat them. It's safe, if, it's safe to say, sorry, dogs in the West have more rights than Muslim women. A man who beat a dog in America got 25 years jail time, but in Islamic countries, men get off scot-free. On Egyptian TV, they glorify wife beating, while on Saudi TV, a man demonstrates how to do it. If you happen to beat a woman in a country with Sharia, you're a hero teaching his wife how to behave. The Quranic Manifesto is one of the greatest threats to women. Women in Iran and Afghanistan are facing the brunt of this harsh reality as we speak. The only people safe under this value system are straight Muslim men, that's for you, Jimmy, and nobody else, not myself, not David, not anyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are going to jump into the open dialogue. Want to remind you, in addition to that TikTok link, which is in the description box, our guest links are there. My dear friends, if you're watching live, I encourage you open up an additional tab or tabs, and you can put our guest links in there right now so you for sure remember to check out their channels. That's also in the description box for the podcast where we have David's, have I been saying it wrong, Nariah? Nuria, but that's Nuria, okay. I'm sorry, that's embarrassing. Nuria and Muhammad, <laughs> David, and Finding Truth links are all in the description box of the podcast as well. Check out our guest links. And with that, thank you very much, all four of you. The floor is all yours, David. Um, James, well. I'm a bit confused. Aren't we? Weren't we going to have? Oh, you're uh, right. Rebuttals. Uh, rebuttals. Thank rebuttals. you. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm, in my, I'm waiting for the rebuttals. Yeah. I'm this in my old mindset. It's ten minute rebuttals. Getting getting kick. names yeah. wrong, names wrong, format wrong. My goodness. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. We're going to to finding truth in Muhammad for ten minutes. So roughly five minutes each. The floor is all yours for that first rebuttal. Thank you. So. Um, Let's start counting now. So actually, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised of, of the opening statements of both Nuria and David. And the reason is um, that we are discussing specifically 
whether interpersonal values in the Quran are good. So um, David talked about so many things. Nuria talked about so many things that are off this topic, things that are related to legal, uh, the legal system of Islam, uh, international relations in Islam, politics in Islam, war and peace in Islam, etc. But the topic of this debate is actually interpersonal values, specifically. And uh, hence, I would, I would like to stay on, on the topic. So first of all, I would like to thank David, actually, for acknowledging that the Quran has uh, some good uh, uh, values being mentioned there. But he said that sometimes that changes. I'm talking about, again, interpersonal values. And I, I, I asked him, where did that change? Maybe in his rebuttal, he would answer me all that. But since um, there wasn't so much material about that uh, in, in his and Nuria's uh, statements, I will try to pick the things that are relevant. So one of the things um, that are relevant um, is uh, what David mentioned about uh, the Muslims being the best of people. And he quoted a piece of a Quranic verse. So in all, in all honesty, quoting a piece of a verse is not the way to convey its meaning. So the verse says, I happen to have memorized the Quran at one part of my life. I need to do some revisions. But the, but the piece says, uh, You have been the best uh, of nations or the best of communities that has been brought forward to uh, the world or to the people. But it doesn't stop there because it qualifies the reason. Because it says right after that, so why? Why are you the best of people? Because you do three things. You guide people to doing good deeds. And you tell people not to do bad deeds. And you believe in God. And you can notice that it has started with the interpersonal thing first. That a Muslim who is a part of a nation that is the best nation, has to be the best Muslim. He has to be doing good deeds, and he has to then uh, ask people to follow his lead and to refrain from doing bad deeds and then to ask people to follow his deeds. Now, did the Quran, the reason I'm commenting on this specific piece from what David said is that if I am as a Muslim looking down to other people just because I'm a Muslim and they are not Muslims, it will affect my interpersonal behavior towards them, obviously. Um, but, but this is not the case. But did the Quran only mention uh, uh, Muslims as being the best? No, actually the Quran, before mentioning Muslims as being the best of nations, he mentions Israelites, uh, people who followed Moses, as at one point of time being the best, being the chosen ones. Actually, this is mentioned in the Quran clearly. And, and, and in Surah Al-Baqarah, he talks to uh, people of the book for a long part of Surah Al-Baqarah and in other places in the Quran. Um, and, and he specifically says, I have chosen you. And the reason Allah makes them the chosen people is that because they carried the same message before the arrival of Muslims. And then he starts blaming them for letting go of the way of conduct that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered them to follow in their books. Whether, for example, it is like observing the Sabbath when it relates to their religion practice and other practices, but very importantly, interpersonal practices. 
And then he says, now Muslims, you are going to carry this torch to light up the world once again. If you behave the way I want you to behave because you are carrying the torch, you become the best of the communities that are uh, uh, walking the earth. But if not, there is no, uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not take sides. So later on in the Quran, he says like this, he says very clearly this, لَيْسَ بِأَمَانِيِّكُمْ وَلَا أَمَانِيِّ أَهْلِ It is not by what you wish, or the people of the book wish, but he who does bad deeds will be punished or will be held accountable. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not treat Muslims in a different way than non-Muslims. He treats people based on abidance to his values, and this is my five minutes. I leave the rest of the five minutes to my uh, friend, Muhammad. Thank you, brother. Uh, so yeah, just to carry on a little bit about the verse on when he's saying, uh, so why don't you just carry on the verse even more than that? So God is telling us why we're the best of nations, but then he starts addressing the people of the book. You're saying that they're not part of it. God says, well, if the people of the book believe, it would have been better for them, right? And then they're, if they fight you, they're going to be cowards and run away because they have, they don't show loyalty. And then later, in the exact same like page, God says, but they're not all the same. From the people of the books, those who believe in God, who like go quick to like do good things for others, those who believe in the day and uh, who like saying, so they promote good deeds and they try to stop evil deeds. And they bow down in the middle of the night praying to God and reciting the verses that's in their books, those people are righteous. God literally says that in the exact same page. So like in summary, all that you guys debated and everything that you brought off is such a twisted and emotional rhetoric that just shows like copy paste of the Quran. It's like taking the whole literature and just taking little pieces and making this, this ideology or this like philosophy that has absolutely nothing to A with the Quran and B with this topic. So like, Everything that Nuria said is such a twisted thing that most of the people and most of the verses that you said don't say anything that you said. So when you're saying uh, 1342, it has nothing to do about someone being a deceiver. Mecca is a plant. God doesn't talk about him being uh, like owning the land and the skies in that specific verse. Show me the rape verse because I'm sorry, I have a lot of sisters and I have a lot of uh, dads and uncles. They're not going around raping people, but it's it's okay. You can you know, delude yourself as ever you want and the devil can decorate your mind and whatever you want. Inheritance, in the same thing when it comes to your saying like, oh, a man has double the share of a woman. But in reality, if you look at the same verse, the mom, if the guy had, doesn't have a kid, the mom is inheriting double the dad. That's not fair. So why aren't you talking about how the gender that the woman is taking, uh, the mother is taking double the dad when he doesn't have a, a child? That's in the exact same verse. Go look it up. And then the second thing is, your whole life as a man, you're providing for the women. I'm giving her most of the stuff that I have. I'm not allowed to take it back. I can't inherit uh, offer. I just keep giving everything that I have to her. I have other obligations. That's why she's taking a smaller cut. Like me as a man, I'm supposed to be the, the provider. So that's why and I've been giving to my wife most of my life, everything that I have is just so that she is provided for. So when I'm dead, I have like my kids and other obligations that I have to like give to. 
But like, again, you, you just take things in, in out of context and you throw it. The 72 versions is based on a hadith that's naive. So we, there, it's not even like that the prophet said that. It's just maybe he said that, but it's there is no enough proof or testimony. And you're talking about the word neshes. Like you just throw these terms to show people that you know, but in reality, you know jack. Because that same word was used for women. Like, oh, if you found neshes in your women, right? Like you're supposed to do X and X and X. And then later in the same surah, God is saying like, hey, women, if you sense neshes from your men, your husbands, that they're going to leave you or they're going to forsake you, then try to reconcile because reconciling is good. And those who reconcile are those who have awareness of God and wants to make the world peace. We don't say peace be upon you when it's all about violence. And when it comes to violence, David, again, it's the same problem. You take copy paste and you don't say the truth. We cannot, like God says, like those that come to you, disbelievers, mushriks and whatever, those that come to you and they don't, like they give you peace, and they don't throw their hands at you in fighting. Those we did not give you away on top of them. So we, so we can't fight you, okay? But those that want to fight us, then yeah, we, we're not doormats like how modern day Christianity is. It's all about, hey, hey, you know what? You guys step all, of, all over us and we're okay with it. No, there's certain times you're going to have to stand up at those guys fighting you. You're talking about the 21st century. Because of all this disaster, your governments and these people around that are so far away from like the values that are in the books, which is whether it's the gospel or the Torah or the Quran, and they're making up all these crazy theories, the thing that people are finding the stability in that makes more sense to reality is the Quran. So a lot of people are going into, into the Quran. And, and I personally felt it. Ahmed also personally felt it. When we deal with people that don't know the Quran and they see how we're just acting, like we're honest with, with the people, like disbelievers, or we treat people nicely, or we go above and beyond to make it to make people feel hospitable, or, or yeah, hospi with our hospitality, people want to become Muslim. They start and being intrigued by Islam. And, and yeah, so like I, I wish you guys uh, can uh, like that have this like approach when it comes to the Quran and to be more honest. We're going to kick it over to David and Nuria for their first rebuttal. Thank you very much. The floor is all yours for 10 minutes. Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Ahmed and Mohammed. In my opening statement, I agreed that there are some positive values in the Quran, but that these uh, are massively overshadowed by the Quran's commands to violently subjugate unbelievers. Um, Ahmed said we were going off topic. I, I don't recall where. I mean, interpersonal is between persons, and everything Nuria and I talked about was between persons, either between um, Muslims and non-Muslims, or between Muslims and Muslims of another group, or between uh, men and women. Um, as far as the best of peoples, um, <clears throat> Ahmed and uh, Muhammad tried to, uh, you know, say, well, this is this is just about, uh, you know, the things Muslims were doing. And, well, even Jews, even Jews at one time were the best of peoples. Um, but th these things start to change. The attitude towards Jews and Christians massively changes when when they reject Muhammad. Jews and Christians are doing the same things. What are they doing? Are they, are they running around behaving horribly evil and and Allah was calling them good anyway? No, they just they're they're the same. They just reject Muhammad and then all of a sudden the rules 
suddenly change and the Quranic view of them change. And just let me tell you, uh, because we've been accused of taking things out of context, where we're reading these things out of context. Well, I quoted Surah 9, verse 29, opening. Let's go ahead and read what this says in context, because this is, this is addressing Jews and Christians. So the passage begins in Surah 9, verse 28, uh, and says, O you who believe, truly the pagans are unclean, so let them not, after this year of theirs, approach the sacred mosque. And if you fear poverty, soon will Allah enrich you, if he wills, out of his bounty, for Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. So Allah is going to enrich the Muslim community after um after the pagans were no longer allowed to uh, interact with them during the pilgrimage. Well, how is Allah going to enrich them? He says he's going to enrich them. Next verse, fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden, which hath been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth from among the people of the book, Jews and Christians, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. Notice, all of the requirements, all of the justifications for fighting us have to do with basic um, religious beliefs and practices here. There's no attacking the Muslim community or engaging in war or uh, taking part in evil behaviors. It's saying don't hold forbidden that which has been forbidden by Allah and Muhammad. So if your religion forbids one thing or doesn't forbid something that Islam forbids, that's a justification for fighting you. You don't have to be doing something evil. You just have, your, your religion just has to forbid something differently, and that's a justification for fighting. But why fight Jews and Christians who are people of the book? Well, next verse. And the Jews say Ezra is the son of Allah, and the Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah. These are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disbelieved before. Allah's curse be upon them how they are turned away. So the claim is that since Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah, that's the justification for fighting us. So this, is, this has nothing to do with Christians going out and, and being horrible, evil people. It's about Christian belief. That's the justification for fighting us. Um, have we done anything else? Next verse, 931, they took their rabbis and monks to be their lords besides Allah and Christ, the son of Mary, yet they were commanded to worship but one God. There is no God but he. Praise and glory to him. Far is he from having the partners they associate with him. Any other reasons for fighting us? Next verse. They desire to put out the light of Allah with their mouths. Notice it says with our mouths, not by the sword. This is referring to what we say. This is referring to us stating what we believe about God. But Allah will not allow but that his light should be perfected, even though the unbelievers may detest it. Allah won't allow Jews and Christians to spread our beliefs through preaching. But how's Allah going to stop us? Next verse, 933. It is he who has sent his messenger, Muhammad, with guidance and the religion of truth, Islam, to prevail it over all religion, even though the idolaters may detest it. So how is how is Allah going to prevail the religion over all others? Surah 9, verse 29, fight those who believe not in Allah until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. Now, that's the entire passage, and it relates to what our friends are saying. Um, ah, you know, you, you Jews and Christians, you're not the best of peoples anymore, and and it's because of your behavior and so on. 
it, it's, 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 this says it's because of what we believe and what we say. So I'm in this boat right now. I'm in this boat right now. There are calls to fight against me. Why? Because I say, I say Jesus is Lord. So I'm in the same boat. So there are real world consequences for the teachings. These are interpersonal. These are interpersonal uh, claims because this is a command for one person to violently subjugate me. And I actually have it much better than uh, Nuria because she's an apostate in addition to being a critic of Islam. And so uh, I'll hand it over to her. Thank you, David. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of interesting in general that you guys wanted to change the topic to interpersonal values, because just like people, I'm sure at the beginning of this debate, were also saying, what does that even mean in the context of the Quran? Any kind of interaction with any person, interperson, can be constituted for the purpose of this debate. So if you want to stick to strictly sweet principles like mercy and, you know, generosity, as um, Ahmed did in his opening statement, uh, I agree, as David also conceded, like the Quran has calls for that but i would go as far as to say the generosity and the justice that you talk about the mercy that allah likes to call himself is one of his 99 names our rahman is only extended to muslims um we see that in quran 48 29 where it says muhammad is the messenger of allah and those who are with him are strong against unbelievers but compassionate amongst each other So again, this is only relating to Muslims. And I know you're trying to add that any other group is not counted in the purpose of this discussion, but I think that's a ridiculous angle to take. Um, The Quran, Quran 47.35 also clearly states, cry not and ask not for peace as long as you have the upper hand. This constantly shows that Islam is in a perpetual state of war and is acting on whether or not Muhammad and the Muslims at the time were in power or not. Um, Ahmed also mentioned that when Muslims would come across other um, nations or peoples, they had a unique way of behaving, I believe was the words that you used. Um, My question to you would be, is the unique way of behaving that you talk about uh, giving them two options, whether to convert or die? Um, And also Quran 923, even if they were to succumb to Islam's wrath of the sword, it says any, I won't use the word revert, but any convert to Islam can't take his own family as friends. So again, I don't know if that's interpersonal enough for the both of you. Um, Moving on to Muhammad, not the the supposed prophet, but the Muhammad here with us. You said lying isn't good, blah, blah, blah. That's the worst thing a human being can do. Allah hates it. All of that jazz. But please tell me if I'm wrong. Certain schools of thought in Islam allow you to lie if the motive is for Islamic propaganda, right? So as long as the motive is to expand Islam and to to portray it in this positive light, you are allowed to lie on certain occasions. I believe there's multiple hadiths that give three occasions when you are allowed to lie. One of them is definitely in a state of war. And as I said, Islam is a political ideology that is always in a state of war. So yeah, um, I don't know how that fits in with your lying um, that Allah considers a sin, Muhammad. But you also said... There's beautiful things such as, you know, you should answer people nicely when they respond or answer even better. Again, that relates only to Muslims. If a Muslim greets you, you need to give an equal, if not better, greeting. However, again, the Hadith even back up the fact, does it not say, Muhammad, in the Hadith, that you should push Jews and Christians to the narrowest part of the road? 
So I don't know what you're talking about. If the Quran calls for violence against them and the Hadith verifies it, I think you're the one who's deluded, mate. Uh, I'll call it cognitive dissonance or you doing takia or whatever, but you need to take a hard look in the mirror about who's deluded. Um, lastly, I want to ask you, do you know what marital rape is? I don't think you do, but the rest of the world does. Name me one Islamic country that has criminalized marital rape. In fact, any woman that goes to report rape in an Islamic country gets done for adultery. Look at that poor woman that was in Qatar trying to help the World Cup. She got raped and she got done for adultery as opposed to that. So I don't know. Again, I hope that's interpersonal enough for you. It is definitely occurring between two people. Um, so whether you guys are trying to, you know, make this into a gray area topic wise, it's all relevant. Thank you. You got it. Thank you very much. We're going to kick it into the second rebuttal. This one is eight minutes, so about four minutes per person. We'll kick it over to you, Finding Truth and Muhammad. The floor is all yours. Be on mute if I can't tell if either of you are talking. Oh, whoops. And I actually realized that part of my previous rebuttal, my camera was down. Uh, Okay, so just, just let me know if this happens again. Anyway, so let, let's start now. All right, so um, thanks for your statements. Let, let me let me again just start from where Nuria ended. So she says uh, about the topic, the topic, the, the topic is interpersonal values, actually. Nothing being changed here. So I will, uh, I, I took the last time the, the matter of Kuntum Khaira Ummah, you, you have been a, a, the best community race for people. Um, the second thing that um, uh, what was relevant that David said uh, was actually related to taking Jews and Christians as friends. And he says, we're not allowed to take Jews and Christians as friends, which is false. Uh, the Quran makes a clear statement about whether Muslims are allowed to take uh, Christians as, as friends or not, or Jews, or people of any other religion uh, to that matter. Because later when uh, Muslims went to other countries that are not uh, uh, um, uh, Christians or Jews, they treated uh, the people who had uh, uh, specific religions in those countries the same way uh, like they treated Christians and Jews, like uh, people of Persia, for example, um, uh, who, 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 who were said to be worshipping uh, according to an old religion that was corrupted. Um, so what does the Quran say about that matter? Because why am I, am I referring to this? Because it makes a difference in somebody's interpersonal uh, a treatment with others, um, uh, if they are Christians and Jews, if he should not religiously uh, um, have a relation of friendship or an amicable relation with them. So it's quite relevant. So what does the Quran say? Um, the Quran says this. It says, لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم في الدين ولم يخرجوكم من دياركم أن تبروهم وتقصتوا إليهم إن الله يحب المقصتين. What does it mean? Allah does not forbid you. Respecting those who have, or with respect to those who have not made war against you on account of your religion and have not driven you forth from your homes, that you show them that you show them kindness and deal with them justly. Surely Allah loves the doers of justice. Tabarruhum al-Bir is doing something on doing a good thing towards somebody. So why is this ayah mentioned in that specific text? Because there are ayat, as David said in the Quran, that relates to war that relates to the action of the Islamic nation towards another nation that shows animosity to it. Now, this ayah is there to tell the individual, the Muslim individual, if this applies to him or not. 
So it tells them it does not apply to the, your relation with somebody else who has is not fighting you and is not driving you out of your home. You should actually be kind and you should give to them and you should be just to them. And then the next ayah makes a further elaboration. These are ayat in Surah Al-Muntahina, verses 8 and 9. It says this, uh, God forbids you from those who have, uh, now I'm, I'm translating in my mind, God forbids, uh, forbids you, this is not translation, this is translation of meaning to be accurate. God forbids you uh, uh, from those who have fought you or driven you out of your homes and made alliances against you to drive you out of your homes that uh, you um, uh, befriend them. And those who befriend them, those are the oppressors. Um, so uh, these two ayat will resolve the whole thing about everything that David said about friendship or wilaya or tawallawhum, the, the other ayat, if I say in Arabic, use the same words. So if it's, a, if it's a country at war with another country, even on the individual level, those who are not combatants uh, are excluded. And definitely people who live with Muslims, whether in their communities or in the Islamic communities, have nothing to do with them. If somebody is good to us, is not fighting us, not driving us to our, from our homes, then normal relationship, neighbor, friend, is all okay. Now, there has been so many other topics that have been raised. Some of them are relevant, some are not. I think in the open discussion, we'll come to them. I, I leave the, the rest of the uh, eight minutes to uh, Muhammad. Okay, so uh, yeah, interpersonal skills, just a quick Google is literally includes verbal, nonverbal communication oh, yeah. and yeah. the ability to handle conflict, teamwork and empathy, listening and positive attitude. It's a, it's an individual values. You're, you're talking about like the whole communities and the issues within other communities. But like uh, now, David, there's a, concept you need to understand when it comes to religion okay so this is your law so god is a king you're serving this king if you're not showing loyalty to your king to your creator at that point you're self-oppressive because you're self-oppressive you're like literally showing what the quran says about people like you you become deaf dumb and blind you think you're guided you think you're, you become arrogant you're saying things but in reality you're saying a lot of garbage okay and because you show the lack of loyalty, you cause problems to the kids that are coming and you're causing problems to the society around you. So yeah, we're gonna tax you, not for you to believe. It's just so that, you know what? People like you consider the money. So no, I'd rather just fake convert to Islam and then your kids are gonna be Muslims and their generations actually turn. So this is how it happened in places like Albania and Turkey. Their kids are really good Muslims while their parents weren't, but they just converted to save some money. So that's the ideology behind it so that there isn't a war. But aside from that, like, you're, you're talking about the whole verse. The people are saying that God has a son. Like, you know, you understand the, the, the like the, the mental breakdown you have when you say that the ultimate king that never dies has an heir. That's you turning against your God. So, yeah, you're showing lack of loyalty. What's the And speaking of loyalty, how in a million years can you justify or your religion allows you to go team up with an atheist, an ex-Muslim atheist, OK, that doesn't believe in God to go defend or to attack a different religion that does believe in the same God that you believe in. Because we're going back to not Jesus's values or Muhammad's values, uh, both of them, but it's actually Abraham's mentality. Abraham is the one who had this mentality that we have and the conduct that we have. The person that led us closest to this mentality is Prophet Muhammad. That's why. So follow the way of Abraham, upright, monotheistic. He doesn't associate to God. 
So your whole concept of understanding what religion is, is flawed. And you guys come back and like, Nuria, simple question. Are you sitting on that chair? Yes, you are. Are you, Did God show you mercy? 100% after insulting him and after insulting Prophet Muhammad. So when you're saying that God's not showing mercy to everybody, you're completely wrong. You're sitting fine on that chair. That mercy is going to stop on the day of judgment when you're going to start going through your own hell that you build in your mind and how the devil put all these blockages in front of you because of the things that you say. When we're talking about verses of God and we're showing you how, like, you know what, we're actually peaceful with people. Unless if they cross us, you're saying, no, no, you guys cross first. That's not true, and that's not what the Quran says. But your response is blah, blah, blah. That's what you said. Your little words was blah, blah, blah. So when it comes to God's verses and God's way of action and how you're supposed to act, your response is blah, blah, blah. Because as the Quran says, people like you and the people who act like you and say what you say, they become arrogant. They think they know it all. You're talking about interpersonal relationships between people. The only thing that you do is, is, is say the opposite when was what in the Quran said. So you're not honest. And God says, like, if someone says to you peace in the Quran, so if someone says to you peace, don't say to him, oh, we're not going to give you peace because you're not a believer. Like, make sure they're okay and then see what they're about. If they're fighting you, then you don't give them peace. So we're supposed to investigate the person who's giving us peace and give them peace if he and deserves time. it. We're going to kick it into the open discussion. Want to say our guests are linked in the description, as I mentioned, folks. So, wait, no, no, forgive me. David and Nuria will have their eight-minute rebuttal. Then we'll go into the open discussion. David and Nuria, the, the rebuttal is all yours. They, all, they almost <laughs> caught you there, yeah? They almost caught you. <laughs> falling, he's falling apart. He's falling yeah. apart. It's a long morning. Yeah. Uh, all right. As far as um, uh, not being allowed to take Jews and Christians as friends, I mean, Surah 5, verse 51, uh, is very clear, one of the clearest verses in the Quran, do not take the Jews and the Christians for friends, they are friends of each other. And so if you want to say Allah means something different there, you got some problems, because again, over and over and over in the Quran, like a beating drum, Allah claims that his commands are perfectly clear. And so if you're going to say, hey, I'm going to be friends with Jews and Christians, even though Allah says, do not take the Jews and the Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. Well, that, that's that's between you and uh, and Allah there. Now, uh, Ahmed quoted Surah 60 verses 8 to 9 to show that, that Muslims are indeed allowed to be friends with Jews and Christians. And this is a, a very interesting passage to quote. Uh, I'd recommend going to Tafsir Jalalain on this because the two Jalals note, note the obvious, namely this was abrogated by later calls to fight and violently subjugate people, which is clear if you read the Quran in context and you understand that that one of the basic defining principles of interpreting the Quran is the doctrine of abrogation, later commands to fight, abrogate earlier commands uh, like this. And even if we didn't, even if we didn't understand the doctrine of abrogation, imagine what would happen if we go to that Surah, it's not very long. Imagine what would happen if we go to that surah and we go back just a few verses earlier. So he's quoting Surah 60, verse 8. Go back just a few verses earlier to an example given to Muslims. Surah 60, verse 4, same chapter, a few verses earlier. Indeed, there is for you a good example in Abraham and those with him when they said to their people, surely we are clear of you. And of what you serve besides Allah, we declare ourselves to be clear of you and enmity and hatred have appeared between us 
and you forever until you believe in Allah alone. Now notice, the Quran says, take Abraham as an example here. Abraham says, in the Quran, Abraham says to the unbelievers, the non-Muslims, there is enmity and hatred between us and you forever until you believe in Allah alone. Well, that sounds a lot like what Nuria and I are saying about what Islam teaches. It actually promotes enmity and hatred. And again, this is the passage that Ahmed went to. This is the passage he went to, and it's promoting, quote, enmity and hatred between Muslims and non-Muslims forever until non-Muslims become Muslims. That's not me. That is, uh, that's Allah himself. And so if this is your go-to passage to show, no, Jews and Christians can be friends, uh, you need to go to a different passage. Because notice in Surah 9, which I quote, I quoted Surah 929 in context, it's talking about Jews and Christians are actually, because of what we say, because because Christians say that Jesus uh, is Lord, that we're actually, we're actually in the polytheist category. We're not true monotheists. Well, what does, what would, what does the chapter that Ahmed quoted say about this? Nothing but enmity and hatred between us because of what we believe, hence the command to violently subjugate us and silence us. And remember what, what, uh, what was it for? It was because of what we say with our mouths. It was not because of waging war or anything else. It was because of things we say with our mouths, nothing but enmity and hatred towards us and the call to violently subjugate us. So uh, thank you, uh, Ahmed, for proving our point here. Nuria? Yeah, thanks, David. Um, yeah, Ahmed, just to come back to kind of what you were saying earlier again about how, you know, Islam treats people so well wherever they go, blah, blah, blah. And you gave the example specifically of the people of Persia, whether, they, you know, they were Zoroastrians or fire worshippers. But have you heard of the Parsis, um, Ahmed? Because they actually fled Muslim persecution to India. That's why the community still exists there. So I think if you were to ask them about how they were treated and tolerated and accepted under Islam, you'd get a completely different picture. Uh, so what the Quran or Muhammad has done is actually far less commendable than even Cyrus the Great, who came way before and had a lot more foresight on how to treat minorities and have pluralism. So yeah, I also think that um, obviously it's not unrealistic to see why this is still happening today. Um, I want to ask Ahmed again, do you not agree that it's Islamists in Afghanistan that are blowing up the Bamiyan Buddhas and every trace of religion that came before Islam? Islam can't tolerate any other culture in existence but its own. You can see that wherever Islam is gone, they have wiped out the native culture and imposed the Arab culture onto them. That's why I say it is an imperialist ideology with a, an expansionist agenda. Um, there is no treatment for minorities. Look at countries like Pakistan as well. You're not even allowed to hold office because it has the title Islamic Republic in front of it. These are all issues that you guys definitely do need to consider. Um, I would also go as far as to say those Islamists that are blowing up the Bamiyan Buddhas and, and everything else they consider to be idolatry are just mimicking the behavior of Muhammad when he destroyed the 360 idols in the Kaaba. Um, and then I think it's coming on to, Mohammed, your points when you talk about, again, interpersonal values. You Googled it. Thank you so much for us. And you said it's how you deal with other people, verbal, blah, blah, blah. 
But Muhammad literally said when his own people were concerned that they were killing women and children in their raids, when he was asked about the polytheists, women and children dying, he said they are from them. Um, I can give you the Hadith number from that as well. But yeah, it's uh, same Muslim 1745A. And yeah, again, uh, Muhammad, I don't know what you're talking about when dealing with other people. Muhammad himself led at least 29 battles, okay? I know it's embarrassing for you. And I know that your, that your threats of Judgment Day and the devil and waswasa, they don't affect me. But the harsh reality is the reason I'm sitting on this chair is because you're not in power and your religion is not in power. If it was, I wouldn't be sitting on this chair. So again, I'm grateful that here in the West, Islam is subdued. Otherwise, you talk about interpersonal relationships, I'd be gone. Your religion commands my death. And that is something that falls under Sharia and it would be a thing. So Again, um, I just want to say that even your Muhammad, like you, you want to threaten me about Judgment Day and me finding out Muhammad himself wasn't even safe. The guy tried to commit suicide before he was supposedly a prophet on a number of occasions. He had his teeth knocked out during a battle. He was wearing two suits of armor, okay, and made the other Muslim guy go in for him. So again, the power of 30 men he has sexually, I wish it was replicated for him in, in times of battle. And also, I don't know what flavor of Islam or sect of Islam you belong to, but um, he was poisoned and killed by a Jewish woman. According to some schools of Islamic thought, you do not get to heaven if you are murdered at the hands of a woman or you die at the hands of a woman. So I guess even Muhammad's fate in that sense would be questionable. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd like to say for now. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And now we'll jump into that open dialogue. Thank you very much. The floor is all yours. David, Nuria, Muhammad, and Finding Truth. See, Maria, you keep doing the same thing. You just okay. take like little verses, small things from like different parts, some of it authentic, some of it not, and then you make up your own story. Prophet Muhammad didn't die because of a Jewish lady uh, poisoning him. Even if he did, that could be the case. There is no story about Muhammad turning his uh, back into battle because that's definitely against the uh, religion. And just to finalize the point for you, uh, Cyrus the Great, however great he was and however good he dealt with minorities, he doesn't have uh, 7 billion people throughout history after him uh, following his ideologies and his methodologies and trying to find uh, like a good value system in life on how to live. Prophet Muhammad has 7 billion subscribers. If he was a, if it was a person on YouTube, he has 7 billion people following him. So, 7 billion. Wow, that's the entire population of the world. So that's a... Yeah, yeah. But throughout history, do you understand from 1400 now, not everybody stays living. But maybe that, that okay. concept's also too hard when you can't... Mohammed, have you heard of the argument ad populum as well? Do you, Are you aware of that? I understand it's about... What are you trying to say that? But you got to look at the other side. I'm not saying the whole world. That's still a small portion of the world because 7 billion doesn't represent the whole population. But it's a, it's like almost a third of the whole world following a single man's ideology because he was able to upkeep seven houses, seven wives are happy at once. He was a state general. He was a state politician. He was a general in the army. He was taking care of every need that people were coming towards him. People loved him. People went and pursued him for, for the truth. And, and they learned on how to deal with each other because of this single man. 
So this is where you guys like fail. So however big and, and, and smart you guys think, like you'll never get to even like a, a shoe of what that man accomplished. Um, okay, yeah, so, um, I, 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 I would. Oh, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. We wanted, we wanted to address that and then sure, we can, and then, and then uh, uh, Ahmed can continue. Um, so Nuria brought up the, the argument ad populum. So basically the, you saying, hey, look at all these people who believe this. Therefore, it must be true. Um, very, very strange sort of uh, argument. I mean, communism is believed by lots of people. It's got absolutely nothing, as far as I can tell, with whether um, something is true. I mean, uh, you know, COVID spread rapidly has nothing to do with, you know, it being part of a true ideology or something like that. Um, if you if you look at the, the main reasons for the rapid growth of Islam, um, it's it's high birth rates. So it was it was it was Islamic expansion fighting. Um, Muslim fighters fought their way across northern Africa into Europe and they fought their way east into India and China. And um, they would they they violently sub subjugated populations. And apart from that, the the main source of growth uh, for the past couple centuries has been high growth rates in Muslim countries. So um, what you're ba what you'd basically be saying is Islam conquered a lot of people um, and then because of apostasy laws and so on, doesn't allow them to leave. And uh, because of Islam's impact on women, uh, Muslims have the highest birth rates generally. And therefore, this must be true, whereas this is precisely the sort of thing we might look at and say, actually, there's nothing in here that has anything to do with this uh, with this being true. But Nuri, I'm sure you had some some uh, additional thoughts on that. Nope, don't hear you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no. Um, thanks, David. Mohammed, I just wanted to say, yeah, correction. I didn't say he turned his he turned his back. I said he wore two two suits of armor. He literally said to one of his companions there that the best of people are those who jump into battle without armor for the sake of Allah, because he wanted to usurp that person. So this is the great man. But you're right. David and I can never, ever be capable of doing what Muhammad did. And thank goodness for that. We, we're not capable of genocide. We're not capable of making sex slavery an institution. We're not capable of subjugating half the population. We're not capable of banning adoption and how Muhammad proved it to us by marrying his adopted son's wife. What a great man. What a great set of interpersonal values because we right. really needed to know that, Muhammad. We really needed to know that it's okay to marry your adopted son's wife and let's just chuck out adoption while that's at it. Yeah, so in favor of Muhammad's lustful eye or whatever was happening there, he got rid of adoption and we have to live with that for the rest of as long as people like you conform to this ideology and belief system by thinking that because you are having the most babies in the world that Islam is somehow true. As David said, that's a complete logical fallacy. It may, and the thing is, again, look at Muslim households. When you allow polygamy and you subjugate women and keep them confined to their houses to make them baby-making machines because you're scared of them getting independent, getting an education, being financially astute to not need you, not be obedient to you and be in your control, that Islam will collapse. Without women, Islam will die and you need to keep them in check. That's what it is. Uh, a woman in Islam is constantly like a child. She's a glorified child with no rights. So I'd like you to prove me otherwise, if, if you can. I don't know. Again, maybe that's not interpersonal enough for you. It's just two people sharing a bed, but sure. Okay. So um, 
I have I have two comments here actually. So so the first one really is um, about what you guys have just said. I, I do not expect um, a Christian and and somebody who has left Islam to have high regard to the Prophet or not. And the matter of numbers is not the issue. The issue we are discussing here is whether Quranic values related to interpersonal conduct are good or not. Now, whether you like the Prophet or you like the Muslim nation or you like this or that is is irrelevant. Um, The the one thing that I am, um, again, I think is quite relevant, um, at least in in what David was saying, is whether because this relates to interpersonal conduct, is whether Muslims and uh, people of other religions, specifically in his case, Christians and Jews, can be friends or can have good relations with Muslims or not. Now, David, I'm telling you, yes. Do you want us just to hate you or what, man? (laughs) Don't hate us that much to the extent you want us to hate you, because we won't. No, just 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 so you just so you know, Ahmed. So, some of my some of my best friends uh, okay. of all time. Some of my best friend. My best friend all through college was a Muslim. I had a friend uh, before that who was an imam. Uh, we were we were weightlifting partners. We used to argue all the time, but we uh, but we got along. So okay. yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, Christians and Muslims can be friends, uh, and that Muslims are—you know—you can always reinterpret what the what the Quran says. But a- as I pointed out in my opening, I'm not talking about what individual Muslims believe. I'm t- talking about what what it looks like the the Quran says. But yes, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I, I have no I have no ill. But, I've done too many I've done too many horrible things in my life to say, oh, all these other people are so bad. I can't I can't be friends with them or something like that. So I'm 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 pretty cool with uh I'm pretty cool with with everyone. Okay. So 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 now we focus on the point. Is a good Muslim okay to be a good friend to a Christian or not? Then let's say that. So if somebody who is a Muslim who wants to commit to Quranic values would accept having good relations not only with Muslims, but also with Christians and Jews or not? This, let, let this be the question then. So my claim is yes. And now we have both made comments about Surah Al-Mumtahina, where you have mentioned the, the matter of Ibrahim. And I have actually recently watched one of your um, debates. Uh, I don't remember the other gentleman that you were debating, but he was a Muslim. Um, and um, uh, you mentioned things about abrogation, etc. Uh, now I have a specific I have a specific uh, opinion about the exacerbant use of abrogation in Islamic scholarship, and uh, uh, um, and there are very different schools about abrogation. But let me specifically because let let's just use this surah, and I will now show you that your methodology, your your own methodology, will lead you to accept my position. So let's start the surah from the beginning. I'll I'll take. Four or five minutes in that. So the surah starts by It starts by the position that you are talking about. O people who believe, do not take my enemy and your enemy as awliya. And let's even use the word awliya as friends like you like to translate it. It has so many meanings, but I'll just use the word friends like you like. You give them uh, good relationships. While they have disbelieved on what has come to them of truth. And then now the qualification, David, is the important thing. Why is he blaming them? Because they are driving you out and the prophet because you have believed in God your Lord, in Allah your Lord. So I am 
telling you not to take them as awliya. If you have gotten out of your homes to do jihad in my way and seeking my satisfaction. You are in secret sending them notions of friendship while I clear, while exactly you know what you have kept in secret and what you have kept public. And he who does this from you, he has gone astray. So the ayah is talking about this. It is in a state of war where Muslims are in a state of war, direct war with the people of Quraysh. And some of the Muslims are afraid that the results of this war will not turn out, turn out well. And they are sending secret messages to the people in Mecca or Quraysh to keep good relations on the personal level. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them, no, you cannot seek good relations for your own benefit. You cannot spy on the Muslim community for your own personal benefit against people who are fighting you. And then he says that if those very people under the state of war find you, and if they meet you, they will be your enemies. And they will uh, uh, um, send their hands towards you and their tongues with bad deeds. And they would like you to disbelieve. So it is the whole picture is in the state of war. And then he says, remember Abraham. Abraham, David, who you know very well from your holy book, that he was living in the time of Nimrud, a very bad, oppressive king. And he, he in our tradition, threw Abraham in the fire. Okay, and um, uh, so he's telling them, when this was an oppressive king who was so bad to those people who believed, including Abraham himself, Abraham did not go and do friendship with him. He, he was clear about it. But then my ayat come. And before my ayat come, he says, And then he says this. Now watch what he's saying. He says, It is hopeful that God will create good relations. Mawadda is actually affection. Mawadda uh, uh, and good relations and affection between you and those whom you have become enemies. Okay, Wallahu Rahim. Wallahu Qadir God is all powerful and He is merciful and forgiving. And then He says the two ayat that I have told you. So He becomes now specific. Now you are in a state of war of people of Quraysh, but in general, you have no problem to have good friendships with other peoples who are not in a state of combatant, combating and military action against you. And He says the next ayah. If in your methodology, where you will take the later ayah as abrogating the previous one, then your whole argument goes away. If in my methodology where I will put every ayah in its specific context, so there is the bigger context of a conflict on the community or the nation level, and there is the context of a person making a good relation with another person. These are two different contexts. So the beginning of the ayah says, when there is a conflict between your nation and another nation, do not go and have a relation with somebody who you know is at a very, very negative position towards your nation and make friends with him for your personal interest. This is very common. And in your country and my country and every country of the world, this will be considered espionage if you are selling out your country for your personal interest. And then he gives an example of Abraham. And then he tells you, setting that aside, if somebody is not a direct combatant for you, or other community is not in combat with you, 
or a specific person who is your neighbor is not uh, uh, holding a, a combatant position or an offensive situation versus you personally or your religion, then there is no problem to be his friend. But even in the Quran, he says, hopefully you will become friends. According to uh, your methodology, you should not have any issue with this uh, surah or this chapter or those ayat altogether. Not, not my, not my methodology um, at all. Uh, as far, okay. as far as, as far as what you're saying, if we were in an Islamic context of when this is supposedly being revealed to Muhammad, and you said, "Hey, this is not forbidding you from being friends with uh, Jews and Christians," I would say, "You're right." You're, I, I would say you're right. As far as as far as this chapter goes, that is what it sounds. So I'm not saying, hey, you know, this verse right here abrogates that one, abrogates that one, abrogates that one that that comes before it. Um, the the only issue I would have about this chapter, as far as what you're saying, is when it talks about Abraham, and he says, surely we are clear of you and of what you serve besides Allah. Um, and we declare ourselves to be clear of you and enmity and hatred have appeared between us and you forever until you believe in Allah alone. Notice that's not um, until you stop bothering us or until you stop being bad or until you stop doing all these horrible things. It's there's enmity and hatred between us until you believe in Allah alone. So got a that's one issue because that's what's being given as an example apart from that i would agree with your with your interpretation of the surah the difficulty is the di- the difficulty is that this that command is not it's not that it's abrogated by another verse in the surah that it's abrogated by later commands to fight and again that's not that's not d woods opinion that's i mean you go to tafsir jalalain says this was revealed before the command to fight them. As far as as far as abrogation, I mean the, the historical background of the verses on abrogation, I'll go ahead and finish with this because because uh, uh, I know Muhammad has has something he wants to add. But you know the, the typical verses on abrogation, Surah 16 verse 101, Surah 2 verse 106. Um, I'll read the 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 historical background uh, here in Al Wahidi. So the, the historical background for Surah 16 verse 101 says, this verse was revealed when the idolaters said, Muhammad is mocking his companions. One day he commands them to do something, and the next day he forbids them from doing something or brings instead something which is easier. He is nothing but a forger who says things of his own invention. And the historical background on 2.106 says, then Allah mentions what was abrogated of the Quran and that which was not abrogated as a direct reference to the claim of the Quraysh who said to the prophet, O Muhammad, why do you command us to do something and then forbid it? And Allah reveals whatever communications we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, we bring one better than it or like it. So the historical background is unbelievers, pagans, polytheists kept noticing, wait a minute, Muhammad commands one thing and then later on he commands something else and says that this abrogated or canceled the earlier revelation. And they say, well, what's going on? Going on here, it looks like Muhammad's just messing with everybody. And then Allah's response is, "Oh, yeah, of course I abrogate stuff. I command stuff, uh, you know, one time that abrogates or cancels um, earlier revelations." And so the the underlying principle is when two commands are telling you to do different things, it really looks like one abrogates or cancels the other. That's that's the position of the Quran. And so when we look at the last major surah, the last large surah revealed, Surah Nine, and we read, "Fight those who do not believe in Allah." And we read the historical context, we read the literary context, and we see 
This is commanding to violently subjugate Jews and Christians because of our beliefs, because of what we say with our mouths, because we say things like Jesus is Lord, and there are, there are calls for violence against us. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to say, ah, but in Surah 60, verse 8, this earlier command, it didn't say that, and therefore it must mean that we can all be friends and get along, especially when Surah 5, verse 51 was was also revealed. Um, so Surah 5, verse 51, for, for those who missed it earlier, uh, do not take the Jews and Christians for friends. So don't take the Jews and Christians for friends. They are friends of each other. Uh, fight those who do not believe in Allah. I went ahead and read the read that in context. We could go to the historical context if you want, but to just say, ah, this 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 verse that was revealed much earlier, in the context of a book that that gives the doctrine of abrogation as a defining principle of how to interpret it, uh, doesn't seem like a doesn't seem like a, a powerful or persuasive response to me. Um, I, I would just say I would just say a, a small comment before we go to Muhammad. Um, I, I don't have a problem to go through the matter of war and peace between Muslims and people of the book specifically with you, because I have seen I have seen other debates that you had about this topic, and I think that those debates not, not did not do fairness to the topic. Um, even the verses that you are talking about in Surah Al-Ma'idah and Surah Al-Anfal, I can show you exactly in the same way that I showed you how Surah Al-Mumtahina and you agreed, does not uh, uh, um, lead to what you were saying. Uh, I can show you in the other ones that they do not lead to what you are saying. This is uh, surahs and verses about international relations and relations that relate to the state of war. They do not relate to interpersonal conduct, and they even do not uh, have this generic sense that you are talking about. I can prove it to you beyond reasonable doubt. Um, it is a big topic. It cannot be finished now. It is, it is a big topic. The final comment is that uh, the, wait, wait, the story wait, wait. of... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I just want to... Yeah, this is, not, sure. this is not me responding to anything. It's just sure. uh, I, I am interested in that topic. So if sometime in the future you wanted to have a specific discussion, like just about that passage in... Uh, certain, matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be a debate. You can come with me on my channel. We can just have a discussion and, and you can tell me your thoughts on that. I'd be happy to be happy to uh, hear it. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. So if, if, if James can share our, both our emails after this, I'll, I'll be happy to do that with you. Um, the, the, the final thing is that, of course, you know, like in your book and in my book, the story of Abraham is mentioned in many places in the Quran. So when the Quran in Surah Al-Mumtahina um, makes a reference to the story of Abraham, it doesn't need to say the story from the beginning. Because the context where Abraham was, the persecution, and throwing him in the fire, and causing him, driving him out of the land of Canaan altogether, was similar to the situation of Muslims at that time who were driven out of Mecca by the Quraysh. So again, the Quran has to be read in whole and has to be in the specific order and context. So this is, I just don't want to take over all of Muhammad's time. Since we agreed we can take this in further elaboration, I'm happy to do that uh, at your uh, convenience. Uh, David Wood, so you're translating the word awliya, wali, as friends, right? So that's like the simplest way. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Muslim, tra Muslim translators are, but I, I know, I know you, you could point out additional, uh, additional meanings to it. But go ahead. It's not about pointing out. Yes, there is the translation of friends. It can come as the term as friends, but that's actually like a almost like a loose translation because it more so of a protector, wali. It comes from the word wali, which is someone who's who's like a step higher of you. So. You can't you can be friends with somebody, but then putting them as a protector, that's the issue. It's like 
you yourself are saying like, oh, they have a problem with what we believe. Well, God, God didn't like God didn't tell you to believe what you believe. You saying the excess about God that Jesus is the Son of God or that Jesus is Lord, that's an excess. That that's like too much. You know, that, that's not stuff that you were told to believe. So for us, it's it's insulting. It's insulting to God that you're saying that. But with that said, right? God is always saying to us like. Uh, like when when people are explaining things about God, we say exalted is God, and we let you be. Like we will warn you, like be careful, because like you're heaven, you can't get to heaven when you're saying that kind of stuff. On a day of judgment, God's gonna ask you, "Where's my son?" And you're gonna try to point to Jesus, but Jesus is not there, and then you're gonna feel ridiculed. And th- those are the things that we're trying to scare you with: is that the fact that you're gonna be held accountable to what you're saying. But it's not the anonymity and, and the thing, the hate that you're talking about, it actually comes from the other side. It's the fact that we disassociated from you, just like how Abraham said, like we're disassociating from you and we don't believe what you're saying. We don't like what you're saying. It doesn't make sense to us. Because we're disassociating and cutting a different path, the Baghdad and the hate comes from the other side. Muslims don't make a whole like mass media to try to hate on the United States and play with people's head and make intelligence services to go ruin other countries. That's happening to Islam. Because Islam is the one that's in the position of defense. The hate is coming from the outside. But it seems like we're the ones to you that we're perpetuating the hate because we have to retaliate. But if you're controlling the mass media and you're the one who's causing these campaigns against us, then obviously whatever we retaliate is going to look like a bad light to you. But to go back to the topic, like Muhammad saying, like on a personal level, when we're dealing with each other, a lot of stuff that you guys are saying, like, you're always going to the most extremist interpretation of these of these verses and from people that are not educated, from people that lack the, the growth that can help them uh, understand these verses better. And God loves those in Muhsinin, those who are righteous. Like if I, as like Maria said, like me force myself on my wife, that's not righteous. God said, we, we created your wife so that like we, we created for man his wife so that he could live for her. And then we also have to like So I have to like treat her with favor and fairness. She's she's my partner. She's not my kid, as you're saying. So I don't know. A lot of stuff that you guys are are, are putting is is what the extremists and the enemies of of the religion are saying. And you guys take things out of context. Like the the whole point of Jewish, Christian, and Muslim religion is to make the world a better place. But there is a war. Yes, there is a war. We have an enemy to the day of judgment. That enemy is the devil. He's the one who's making you feel like there's a difference or that you're mistreated and that you need to retaliate or those people are wrong. That's the enemy. It's not us between each other. It's these thoughts that people have. But Islam clears that all up. There isn't there isn't a problem that you're going through in your life that the Quran doesn't have a verse about. Um, I, I wanted to hand this over to Naria. I, I just had uh, one one quick comment here. Um, so th- th- there there are reasons there are lots of uh, translators who translate Aulia as friends. Uh, but I'm going to go. I'm, I'll, I'll show you why very quickly. Um, you wanted to. You said you could translate it as protectors. And you said that a, a wali is is something higher. It's something a step higher. So your awliya are something uh, above you, but surah. So just so everyone, everyone is, is following. So there, surah five verse fifty one says, "Do not take the Jews and Christians as awliya," which uh, some translators translate as friends. And Muhammad is saying, "No, it's actually something, something higher." 
like a protector, a protector over you, guardian or something like that. But it, it's, it's a step higher than you. Uh, problem. Surah 10, verse 62. Lo, verily, the friends of Allah are those on whom fear cometh not, nor do they grieve. This refers to the awliya of Allah. So this is translated friends of Allah, awliya of Allah. But according to Muhammad here, uh, awliya is your protector and is a step above you. So this should actually be verily the protectors of Allah who are a step above him, uh, on on them there is there is no fear nor do they grieve no, and so there 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 are protected by God protected by Jews like it's the same mentality I, I don't understand where you're seeing it it's, to you it's true no no, no you, you, said, you said you said you said no you said you said Aulia is protector and your words this means well, something a step and this means this means let me let, let me just finish this means something a step higher. It, so if we translate Surah 10, verse 62, which refers to the friends of Allah, well, that's the awliya of Allah. If that means these are Allah's protectors and they're a step above him, they're a step higher, then there are beings who are uh, protectors of Allah and they're a step higher than he is. And my friend Muhammad just committed all kinds of shirk. Uh, but Nuria, did you have any thoughts on the rest of what Muhammad said? And you can um, respond to that. Can, 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 we, can we just close this thing? Because I saw you actually even debate this same word with people before. And I was really surprised that none of them actually has given you the right answer. It, it, it was really surprising to me. Uh, so let me just close this because, uh, um, and maybe we can expand on that on our later thing. So the word wali and awliya, it's the plural, and the word mawla, which refers to an individual person. So I say, I am mawla David, or David is mawla Ahmed, okay? Um, the word mawla is one of those Arabic words that can actually mean one thing and is exact opposite. Okay, so the word, if, if you say, for example, uh, uh, Frank and I don't know, George. So if you say that Frank is mawla George, it can mean that George is the slave of Frank or that Frank is the slave of George. And the only way that you will know which, which, which is which is by checking the context. So this word specifically, you have to be very careful with it. And this is why you will find statements in the Quran that you will find awliyaullah. You can, if you use the word friend, you will not have the issue. But sometimes the word friend will not actually work. So awliyaullah in this case can be seen. At, now, the, the nice thing about the word, it can be seen that awliyaullah are the ones who protect Allah's religion or are the ones that are being protected by Allah. Okay. Actually, if you want to check the formal Arabic and make sure that what I am telling you, I'm, I'm somebody who has studied Arabic for, for a quite long time. And I studied Islam academically for four years. So I actually know what I'm talking about. And I'm surprised that none of those who have you have talked about has explained this about this word. And the reason this word has this property it is that in many state sentences, both meanings are needed. I just want to put this on the table and maybe we can expand on it later. Uh, Nuria, anything? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, so I just do want to, you know, minus the elephant in the room, I want to say to Muhammad and Ahmed that, you know, just by virtue of you two having this conversation today, you are already better than Islam, in my opinion. Muhammad, um, the fact that, you know, you you want to talk about Judgment Day and things like that, that's okay to me. As long as you don't want to end my life in the here and now, as Islam tells you to do, you are better than Islam. And uh, it's the same thing for Ahmed, the fact that you want to befriend Christians and Jews, um, even if, you know, 
Uh, I don't want to go into the whole abrogation thing. I think you and David have handled that pretty well. But in general, again, you are better than Islam. And I think let's go back to the, the bare bones of the topic, interpersonal values or conduct, right? So the starting point of that would be currently we are having this conversation because I'm sitting comfortably in the West, as are you guys. Could we have this conversation in an Islamic state? Yes or no? The fact is, there is no way we could have that com- this conversation in an Islamic state. So that's how you treat your own people. I was born into a religion that I had no choice about. I was born into it. But the penalty for leaving is death. So there is no way out. So for me, it's like, how does Islam treat its very own people? How does Islam treat people who are questioning? How does Islam treat apostates like myself? I believe the word for it is irtidat in Arabic, which is akin to treason. And that's why I'm saying again that this religion is more of a political ideology that considers somebody leaving the fold as having committed treason. But again, for me, something that allows you to come in so easily and glorifies white reverts, so to speak, has no way out for its own adherents that had no choice in the matter, it seems like a cult. Um, and yeah, so Ahmed, I wanted to say to you that, you know, you talk about the, the that friendship could be reached and, and it is, that's the aim is to foster this friendship. But I wanted to ask you how long will that last? And how long is it supposed to last? Because according to your scripture, the last hour will not be established until you fight the Jews. So much so that I don't know, like stones will come to life and speak and tell you where Jews are hiding and it will tell Muslims how to kill them. Uh, Muhammad's looking very confused, but this is Say Bukhari. Um, I'll read it to you as well. No, 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 you said our scripture, but that's not in the Quran. You're talking about what the prophet Muhammad said that certain events are going to occur, but we're talking about the Quran here. Yeah, I know, I know, but I was just adding a supplementary bit that your hadith is saying on the last days, you're going to have to fight the Jews. So how long will this supposed friendship last? Because if you want to summon the end times, which you do, right? Um, how how are you going to go summoning. about that? But, okay, but it's not us summoning the end times. And I'm sorry, I was born into a conflict where the, the Zionist Jews are destroying my brothers. So yes, it seems like that prophecy is slowly happening to a sense where hopefully, you know, our community can come back to its roots. And we can, you know, as brothers, take care of the oppression. But it's not, it's not, it's not how you're like painting it out that we're warlords and we're gonna go. But no, Muhammad, nothing, nothing is according to you, right? Like you said something earlier about like, oh, it's insulting that me and David are presenting information like this. But I would argue it's insulting to me and it's insulting to David when you are clearly glossing over hadith that says, do not greet the Jews and Christians before they greet you. And when any of them on the roads force him to go to the narrowest part of it, right? right. Then Right. But you, so, see, you see, the thing is, like, you were talking about the, the, the part about, like, forcing them to the narrowest nor- power. That's that's things that are not what we're discussing in the topic. But when it comes to the greetings, yes, I'm going to wait for the person to give me peace. Most of the world is not accepting of those who believe. The believers, I mean, like, in society, the world is against believers. And but I'm, Ju- I'm but Jews what, are believers in their own right. What are you talking but about? You see, the Jews, the Jews were considered believers when Moses was around. After the Torah came down and after Moses Yeah, but just away, because you don't consider them believers does not mean that they are not believers. You see, they are, they have elements of belief. But the fact that is they went and started to make up things after Moses, that's why they're Jews. They were called Muslims when Moses was around. They were believers. No, they weren't. They were, that's a, that's yeah. a belief that you guys have. They were not called oh, no. Muslims. Would you like they the were Quran? never called Muslims. 
but you see, um, this is the problem with you. It's not, Muslim is not like a, a label. Like it's it has a definition. Well, it, it means it's, it's, it's a fitrat. It's the it's the natural disposition. No, it's not. Again, that's just a belief you have. It's not a belief. It's the fact that you're failing translating the world a word. So like no. David likes to say Allah, or do you have to believe in Allah? Allah means. So are you God. so are you saying David was born a Muslim and he's just transgressed? Everything in light, everything around you, in the skies, in the land, is a Muslim. Everything this is submitted pen, this, to God. This pen is a Muslim? Yes, yes. But here's the, here's the proof. You're laughing. Here's the proof. Finally, in the Quran, when God goes, Ya yuhal muslimun, all Muslims, he says, all believers, you have to believe that you've submitted to the will of God. That's the religion that we are. Yes, That's what I'm saying. Believe. It's belief. It's not based in any fact. It's your belief. But you believe in the truth. I mean, it's still like you're supposed to believe. How in can it be fact. the truth if it's your belief? Anyway, we digressed. Did anyone want to come in? I believe you're sitting okay. in the chair. So, so because yeah. I have the evidence and proof. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, there's evidence. There's God. There's evidence that this book is is guiding me to the best kind of conduct. Because people like how I treat them. Not in debates like this, because the other side is just sometimes you know saying things that are not honest. But for my day to day life. People appreciate how I act. People appreciate how we talk. People appreciate how we what we stand for. So this is the essence of the Quran. You can't say sweeping statements like there's evidence for God. But anyway, that's to me. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So uh, I think, Nuria, you have asked an important question, which is if, if this um, uh, uh, affection or good relations that I would like to see or that I say that the Quran wants to be the case between Muslims and Christians, for example, are they destined to last? And there is one topic that I would actually like, if if we start this other conversation, David, then what is, in the eyes of Islam, the strategic relation between Muslims and Christians? And the strategic, I'm talking Christians specifically now because David is here. If there was a Jew here, I would have talked about that uh, concerning Jews. But the strategic relation between Muslims and Christians, according to the Islam, is one of alliance. It is completely to the contrary of what you have said. And the evidence from that, from Surah Al-Ma'idah, is that Surah Al-Ma'idah depicts a picture in the future, because even Nuria has mentioned end times. Now, for your context, and says like this, it's, this is verse 82 of Surah Al-Ma'idah, okay? Uh, surah 5. I don't like calling surahs with their numbers, so it's Surah Al-Ma'idah. So it is. it starts by discussing some things about uh, people of the book and about the Israelite people, Bani Israel specifically, and then it goes into a futuristic view of how it is going to be at the end. And the translation uh, of what which, I have said... Would you like to quote it? Are you going to quote it for us? Yeah, it's Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 82. Yeah, no, are you going to quote it for us? Yeah, are you yeah, gonna I'm going to, yeah, yeah, so, so, and it says, and so surely you are going to find those who are closest to, um, uh, closest in affection to the believers, and here he is referring to Muslims, those who say we are Christians. No, no, I mean, identi- I, I mean, I mean, I mean, are you going to are you going to quote the, the full verse? Because you're going right to the. Yeah, sure. Right so the, it, it starts okay. by talking about Ben Israel at the beginning of a um, few ayahs before that. Um, and it says why Ben Israel are not favored by God anymore, because they have left 
الامر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر they are not anymore uh, um, uh, pushing the good deeds and they are treating people differently actually the same criticism that you are saying is applicable to muslims is not in in the quranic view and is 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 the reason that previous people of the book were disfavored by god and um for example for I'll example I was yeah. just wondering if you could if you could quote sure, the entire sure. quote the entire verse for us in English. And, and then he says, "لَتَجِدَنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ عَدَاوَةً لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الْيَهُودَ وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا وَلَتَجِدَنَّ أَقْرَبَهُمْ مَوَادَةً لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ النَّصَارَى." You will surely find, and this is probably a futuristic view, that there is going to be an alliance between Jews and um, Mushrikeen is um, people who take partners to Allah or people to take, who take. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, partners to Allah. No, so some 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 would say that this might actually relate to the time of Prophet Muhammad, because there was an alliance between Jews in Medina and the Mushrikun of Quraysh, specifically in Ghazwat al-Ahzab, when the Medina was completely encircled, and then the Jews inside Medina actually were letting were going to let uh, uh, the pagans of Quraysh in. Uh, but I think this is looking futuristic. It is saying that at a point of time, the world will have uh, an alliance between people who completely disbelieve in Allah. Ahmed, uh, I apologize. The word is not alliance. The word is not alliance. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says there will be uh, animosity between um, those who believe from one side and Jews and those who are uh, not believing or uh, taking partners to Allah from another side. But in the same time, People who say we are Christians will be in a state of love and affection or a state of affection and good relations with Muslims. So the strategic relation between people who identify as Christians and Muslims is one of affection and good relationship. So what I'm telling you as David Wood, why, why do you, do you, not, do you not want that to be the case? Now, people who are Jews, and people who are disbelieving in God, who are not part of this uh, front that is against Muslims and who wants to drive Muslims from their homes or to be bad to them, are not related to this. So if somebody is a Jew and he's a fair Jew and he has no problem with a Christian or a Muslim, Muslims will then fall under the ayat of having good relations with him. But if somebody, and the same goes to somebody who is a Christian and the same goes to somebody who is a complete disbeliever. If you are an enemy of somebody, then this somebody will not be happy with having a relation with you. So this ayah, in the strategic sense, says that Muslims from one side, believing Muslims from one side, and Christians like yourself, who identify as a Christian, you are coming to this debate for Christianity. You are somebody who cares about Christianity. This is at least what I understand about you. So people who identify as Christian, who care about the religious way of life, a Christian should lead. And people who believe in Allah, in, according to the religion of Islam, the strategic direction, according to Islam, is that we should not be enemies. I do want to. So, so I, I just want this is an answering answering to what Nuria asks. Wanna... Should 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 this affection or love be uh, completely short lived or not? No, it shouldn't. Give On the inter in the personal level, it should always be good relations unless there is uh, animosity. And on the strategic level, Muslims and Christians and any, any person, and even Hindus and Jews who want to live according to the religious way of life, in righteousness and in good relations, should not have any problem on the interpersonal level with Muslims. And on the community level, Muslims and Christians should actually 
uh, defend the religious way of life. I want to give David and Nuria a chance to respond. And then someone also mentioned, we've talked a lot about the, you could say, Abrahamic religions. They said they also want to hear about kind of the relationship with Muslims or Islam, with Hindus and Buddhists and atheists. But I want to give David and Nuria a chance to respond to that last point first, if you have a, a response. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give my, my quick understanding of, of, that, of that verse. Um, so the, the, the verse that uh, Ahmed brought up, um, verily you will find, so this is Surah 5, verse 82. Verily you will find the strongest among men in enmity to the believers, so the, the strongest in hostility towards the believers, to be the Jews and those who are al-Mushrikun, so uh, associators. And you will find the nearest in love to the believers, those who say, we are Christians. That is because amongst them are priests and monks, and they are not proud. So my understanding, so one, yeah, one, I see uh, significant problems already. It's just this this blanket statement uh, that, that Jews are the greatest in enmity to Muslims. But as far as as far as uh, what I mentioned in my opening statement, that the Quranic revelations seem to have a lot to do with uh, Muhammad's mood and feelings. Uh, when you look at this in the grand scheme of the Quranic revelations, when Muhammad begins receiving revelations in Mecca, the, the revelations during that time really seem like, hey, it's, it's, it's us Muslims and Jews and Christians, and we're together against the polytheists because we're the monotheist here, and it's, it's, us versus, it's us versus them. Later, Muhammad goes to Medina, and the Jews reject him, and that's when we get this, hey, it's Jews and polytheists on one side and Muslims and Christians on the other side, then the Christians reject him as a prophet as well. And then what do we get after that? Fight those who do not believe in Allah. And it's specifically that that that, that passage, which I read in context, um, Surah 9, verse 29, fight those who do not believe in Allah, specifically referring to Jews and Christians. The justification for fighting us was our beliefs as Christians. Now, our, our it wasn't that our behavior had changed. It was uh, it was our beliefs, our justification for fighting us. Well, how does that? Well, how does that change since Surah Five? What changed? Well, what changed was that Christians rejected Muhammad uh, since then, and um, so it, the, these. I'm looking at it in that context, and it seems to be based on Muhammad's mood and Muhammad's feelings. But the final marching orders of the Quran, if you read the Quran from beginning to end, and you understand how abrogation works, and you understand how it ties, it all ties together is not Surah 5, verse 82, oh, the Jews are strongest in enmity like the polytheists, but Christians are friends. The final marching orders of the Quran are fight those who do not believe in Allah, and the command is to fight Christians because, again, what we say with our mouths, we say Jesus is Lord, and that's why we have to be violently subjugated. And so uh, this is another situation where I don't think going to an earlier revelation, pulling something out of it, and then using that to overthrow the final commands of Allah is a good approach. But as, as you've, as you've pointed out, uh, Ahmed, we, we can always, we can always uh, discuss Surah 9 in, in more detail. David, just quick question in regards to that verse, when God is saying that those who are Jews, right, those are, you're going to find them as like the most, uh, like they have the most animosities towards believers. So you got to look at the Quran as a rule book, a law. So if you're a Jew and there's a set of believers that came after you, you're going to be, they're going to try to fight you. Now, quick question. 
when Jesus was alive and uh, the people who believed in Jesus who are called the believers at the time, right? What did Jews do to uh, Jesus and his group? And what did they do around them? And what did they try to do to Jesus? So you could see that the verse is clearly true that the Jews show a lot of animosity towards any believers that came after them, right? And yes, the fact that there is a lot of mercy and there's a lot of forgiveness that is preached in Christianity is the reason why Muslims and Christians get along so well, because we're so good to forgive. So yeah, you're proving the first correct. The people who tried to kill Jesus were the Jews. Now, I want to make some more uh, comments about Nuria, if, uh, if you'd like. So Nuria, you, you, some, some of your statements were, in my opinion, outside of the scope of this, but I'm, I'm glad to discuss them with you, if you'd like. Some relate to the law, some relate to apostasy, etc. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Ahmed, can I just come Maybe in real later. quick on your, on your point about, uh, I really appreciate you trying to like find loopholes for Christianity, right? And what you're trying to explain to David. I do appreciate that. But can you honestly say you could extend the same uh, loopholes to Jews and Hindus, especially polytheists? Would you be able to find kind of this, the same? Yeah, so I, I will tell you this. There is there is no issue. Was, I am talking to, to David as a Christian, but I have actually, even on my channel, I have had uh, people who, who, who associate one way or another with Judeo-Christianity. And I can tell you this. Uh, Muslims never had an issue with Jews because they are Jews. Once the Prophet arrived to Medina, he created this covenant with the Jews, and Muslims and Jews in Medina lived in a normal way until war became uh, the status quo. Now, Jews later, let's look at what happened to Jews in the Islamic world. So when Jews were persecuted in Europe, Jews in the world were concentrated in two places, in Baghdad, in the east, and in Andalusia in the west. And when uh, Muslims were driven out of Andalusia, which is Iberia or, or Spain and, and Portugal today, Jews left Iberia with the Muslims because they were getting persecuted by uh, 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 the Qashtalians, by, by, by the uh, Crusaders at that time. So it has been historically proven that Cairo, Baghdad, and uh, uh, Andalusia were the places where Jews lived the best life on the face of the earth, actually. It says something about how Islam wants to treat uh, Jews and Christians and people of any other religion. Hindus, Hindus, um, when, when Muslims dealt with Hindus, in my opinion, for example, Brahman is another name for Allah. This is in my opinion. I think that there is an issue because Muslims in the eastern part of the world typically deal with Christians, that the real relation between Islam and Hinduism is, is not known, but there has been 800 years of Muslims and Hindus in, in, in the subcontinent of India living. There's so much to be said about Islam and Hinduism. Now, Hinduism has polytheistic issues, plenty of them. Okay, but maybe I can say the, thing, the same thing about Trinity in Christianity, for example. The matter that three gods versus 100 million and 300 million gods doesn't make really a difference. But the point is, do Hindus worship a creator for this universe or not? Yes, they do. And, and he is called Brahman. And the features and characteristics of Brahman, apart from they setting partners to him, are in the Vedic tradition pretty consistent with what Allah describes himself to be. 
Muslims believe that every community on the face of the earth has received revelation and that people with time have corrupted them. And this is the reason, for example, why when Muslims went to Persia, they considered uh, 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 people uh, who are, I, I hate this word, Magus in in Magus in Arabic, Zora followers of Zoroastrian. I have a problem with pronouncing this guy's name. Okay, so the Zoroastrians, okay, Magus or Magis, they consider them dimmies. They consider them as good in the in the in the treatment of the country to them as Christians and Jews. So now, if if yeah, Ahmed, won't you say these are all pejorative terms anyway? Right. These are terror. These are discriminatory pejorative terms, whether it's dimmi, whether it's the term that you just use, whether it's no, they are not. No, they're not. I'll tell you why they are not. So if you are, for example, you're, you're let's say you are living in the in the UK. OK, now there would be somebody who is tagged as a UK national. He's a citizen of the UK or of Germany or whatever. And somebody who is an alien or a non-citizen. OK. So tagging somebody with a, a, a name that uh, uh, signifies his status is not a problem. Now, when you associate that name with a negative association, this now becomes the problem. The no, word dimmi, sorry, the, a national, a national has status and rights. An alien has nothing. Yeah. So, but 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 both are human no, it beings. Is. But there's but a hierarchical, but there's but, but a hierarchical both, discrimination, uh, ab- right? Absolutely. But this hierarchical discrimination happens in the UK and the US as 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 good as any other place of the world. Somebody yeah, who is who ha- somebody who has your passport inside the country. So, if I am an American and have an American passport inside the America, I have uh, uh, more freedoms and more rights than somebody who does not have an American passport. If I don't have an American passport and my visa expired, I am kicked out. If I have an American passport, I can stay. So my my civil yes, freedoms why, and liberties why is and religion, everything else. Yeah. Why is a religion assuming state-like responsibility? I'm sorry, because that's what religion why, means. Why it's is a religion? Okay. So no. so 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 let me complete the, this this thing. So the word dimmi itself means somebody who has the vimma of the Muslimun. The vimma of the Muslimun that it, it means that it is part of the honor of the Muslimun to protect him. And why is this the case? It is actually a term with a positive connotation, actually, not a negative one. Because typically when people of another nation or another culture come to take the country of somebody else, then the original people of this country are are really in a very inferior state. They have no rights whatsoever. What dhimmi means is that in the hadith of the Rasul, فَإِنَّ لَهُمْ When when he was talking about Egyptians, for example, لَهُمْ قَرَابَ وَذِمَّةِ they are uh, related because uh, uh, one of him, because Hajar, the the, the wife uh, of Abraham, was Egyptian. So there is Karaba, there is they are kin, and they have Vimma because they are Christians. Egyptians were Christians at that time, and when they are Vimma and Muslims goes there, he was talking about when Muslims go to Egypt. So take care of the Christians of Egypt because they have they have kin and they have Vimma. We we are supposed to protect them. Okay, so the word dhimma on its own has a positive connotation. Now, in the in the last 100 years or 150 years, that people who have the original language, their mother tongue, English, they do not understand or appreciate what the word dhimma means, uh, is actually doing injustice to the word. Okay, now I wanted to refer to your own, to your very first question, which was. Uh, um, can, I, can I can I just respond to that for a second? Sure. 
Thank you. Just a question, though. Um, just two things, because I, I I get your point about Hinduism and and the Jewish ah, okay. yeah. adherents. But I just in the living example of the prophet, like we see, we hear obviously in the Hadith where he was literally riding to the Jews, and he says that most of the time the Jews say "Salam Aleika," right, which is "Death be upon you," and he responds by saying, "You should say and to you back." And then I just want to know, like, the, the whole massacre of Banu Kareza, what do you have to say about that and interpersonal values in terms of the treatment of Jewish people and their women and children being sold off into slavery? Well, okay, it is a little bit outside of anything interpersonal because this was a state of war, but uh, if you go to the historical but context... war is between people, Ahmed, and it becomes no, war, war, war. This is a war, religion that doesn't war, differentiate. War, war, goes, war goes to politics and goes to the state level, Nuria. And what was well, the situation on the ground that time? Yeah. Yes, but that, this book yeah. blurs the lines, right? It blurs the lines between war but, and suddenly you've got sex captives on your hands and therefore yeah. all lines of interpersonal relationships have therefore been blurred. So on yeah. that basis, we can so, proceed. So the, the lines there are, this is a state of war. The Muslim community at its entirety was completely encircled by the, the, the Quraysh uh, uh, pagan uh, army that has collected from every uh, corner of the Arab Peninsula. And there was a coalition, there was a signed treaty between the Muslims and Bani Quraiza. And Bani Quraiza had the backs of the Muslims. So Medina was a very fortified place. It had uh, very rough terrain from two sides. And there was the ditch that the Muslims actually uh, uh, cut out from the ground from one side. And from the fourth side, the back of the Muslims, Bani Quraiza had their own forts and homes. And Bani Quraiza vowed not to let the Mushrikun in. And what happened is that Bani Quraiza made a secret treaty with the Mushrikun after they could not go over the ditch that they would let them in. And there was nobody in Medina but Muslim women and children. And Bani Quraiza actually uh, went and checked if there was any combatants inside Medina or not. And what would have transpired is, is that if they had realized that every other Muslim was at the side of the ditch, uh, Quraysh would have entered from the back and slaughtered every single soul in Medina, and then went to the combatants and slaughtered them from the back. So actually what happened is that Bani Quraiza, specifically, not Jews in general, where uh, uh, they actually accepted arbitration they, choose, they chose their arbiter, and they chose somebody from the Muslims who used to be a historical ally to them, and he is the one who actually gave the judgment that they should suffer the punishment of high treason, which was death. They accepted arbitration, and this is, this, is, this, is, this is history. So you can actually go back to history and find that. And those of Bani Quraiza, who were at that point, who said, who said, no, we do not accept the decision of our leaders and we are not going to commit high treason against the Muslims with which we have a signed treaty, uh, uh, were pardoned by the prophet. This guy uh, had this position, this guy had this position, that other guy had this position and they were pardoned. And only people at the age of combat were punished. This was a situation where Islam could have been completely eradicated from the face of the earth. And I don't think that if this was any, whether secular or religious group, that the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the punishment would have been different. Actually, Ben Quraiza had the opportunity to fight. They were encircled after the Muslims, after the Quraysh went away and their allies. And they are the ones who accepted arbitration. And they knew that whatever arbitration uh, commands 
was going to be uh, um, executed. So anyway, this is also, again, a matter of international relations or state relations, not very related to interpersonal. I'll give you a chance to respond, either David or Nuria, and then we got to go into the Q, or we have to go into the closing statements and then the Q&A. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, no, Ahmed, exactly what, what you were saying about about the Jews as well, though, and, you know, it, it's outside of the scope. Again, I feel like the scope is a very weird, narrow framework that we're working with. Okay, and I feel like it was done to kind of throw us a curveball on purpose. What what do we do? I responded, though I responded anyway. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. I understand. But as you were saying, the, we, we have moved uh, very, very much forward in society now. Like uh, we've got the Mandela prison rules. We've got rules for how you treat prisoners of war. So, yes, checking the pubic hair of boys, whether they should be killed or not, uh, according to the age of combatants that you said, is something that, you know, wherever there is law and order, uh, it would not happen today. And where we do see crazy things like this happening it's usually at the hands of an islamist inspired group like boko haram or you know the likes of isis when they still kidnap yazidi girls um so this is all still happening but it's just it's, it's good as a society that we have moved past this the fact that you were mentioning these as if you know arbitration helped or the fact that there was you know they agreed to it or only got guys that are above a certain age were killed is not doing any favors to the islamic cause because this is meant to be a timeless eternal guideline muhammad's example the fact that muhammad had a hand to play in this these were his commandments that just negates the fact that he's a timeless example that all human beings should emanate uh, he would be tried today in courts for war crimes against humanity on the basis of this story that you're recalling um, and again, we see this, even if you don't want to just rely on the way that the Quran, as David mentioned earlier, back and forth, talks about the Christians and the Jews, let alone polytheists. I don't know how you're making concessions for that when the biggest Islam, sorry, the biggest sin in Islam you could possibly do is shirk, associating partners with Allah. And that's typically what polytheists do. Um, so they are considered the scum of the earth, according to the Quran. The Quran is filled with hate speech to all minorities. And we see this representative in Islamic countries when minorities have no, none to little rights. Name me one Muslim country, like I said before, that helps and accepts uh, minorities. The only reason Islam is pacified in the West is because it is subdued. When it changes, everything will change. And Sharia, the law that is derived from the Quran, is testament to this. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd say. David, did you want to add? Well, actually, I just want to answer something you said really quick about people being uh, trialed in high courts for crimes against humanity because of the system that you like to defend, which sounds like it's the Western system. So where's the uh, crimes against the uh, political leaders and the state leaders and generals that went through the Middle East and corrupted cause all this corruption and uh, torture in Iraqi prison systems and the torture of children that are that had nothing to do with the politics. The high courts didn't do much there, nor did they target the right people. Mohammed, Mohammed, just before that, we I'll waste... give you an example. And I'll give okay, you an example but before we waste time, in Egypt. we don't have to waste time on this. It's it's purely whataboutism. about I'm not against it's them not being tried. It's, it is, it's, though. It's about you it presenting is... something that is not reality. No, 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 but like, listen, What you're listen. saying is not reality in this day and age. No. Nobody's listen, going but listen, listen, let me just let me respond. Those men that you're talking about, those politicians you're talking about, do not claim to be the last 
messenger of God and for to be followed for all time. They are fallible human beings and we can call them out for their behavior. I will call out the next Western politician any day. I don't have a dog in this fight. But Muhammad, by no stretch of the imagination, is even on par of being somebody that we should emanate. That's my but point. This is the thing. So even those politicians in the West, you, you take Putin, who is a criminal, right? But people can find stories that make him look even worse, things that are outside of reality. But I'm not comparing Prophet Muhammad to Putin, but all I'm saying, like, someone as bad as Putin has stories that are worse about him. And someone as good as Prophet Muhammad is going to even have more worse, uh, worse stories about him because he's such a good person. There isn't a good person where they don't people make things up about him. So and the things that you're taking from the Hadith in, in the way people thought back then, right, what we would consider maybe harsh and draconian at our time was the norm back then, A. And B, so Islam, so Islam isn't timeless. Him. So Islam isn't eternal and timeless. Islam is timeless because the God that created this religion, He knows the evolution that's going to happen, and and whatever we're going through nowadays, the Quran is still applicable. The Muhammad, you can't have it both ways. Him. Either they thought yeah, different and that was draconian, or it's forever. It should be happening now. You can't have it both ways. It is happening. It is happening how it's going down. <laughs> with terrorist organizations. Is, with terrorist organizations, yes. You've got to jump into the, you've got to jump into the, the closings. Calling terrorists, I want to give you a chance to respond, people. Muhammad. I do want to, just because we're over the uh, open dialogue, I do want to give you a chance to respond, but I think it's, it's best if it's within the closing statement, and then we'll go into the Q&A after those closings. So it'll be four minutes per team, in particular two minutes per person or so. With that, we'll kick it over to both Finding Truth and Muhammad. The floor is all yours first. Okay, shall I start? How many minutes do I have? It's two minutes per person. Okay. So, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, my opening statements, my rebuttals, and my discussions with David and Nuria essentially revolve about uh, one fact. In terms of interpersonal conduct and interpersonal values, the Quran has continued the tradition that has come through revelation to this human race from Allah through time to observe justice, kindness, generosity, and to go away from obscenity, shameful actions, injustice, and uh, um, all bad deeds. Um, Islam is the last or one of the last traditions alive on the face of this earth who ubiquitously commands its uh, followers to be good, not only to their uh, um, to people who believe in their same religion, but also to people who do not believe in their religion, whether they are living with them in their country or they are living uh, in other countries. This has been exemplified in Islamic history with uh, millions and billions of people converting to Islam just because they have dealt with Muslims on the personal level. This has been exemplified by Jewish communities on the face of the earth only having the, the one place on the face of the earth for hundreds of years that Jews can live in peace in a community that does not oppress them and run after them was in Muslim states. Christians in predominantly Christian places like Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years, for 600 years almost, or 500 years, uh, uh, until today has a significant amount of people who are quite strong orthodox adherence to Christianity. And this uh, happens in not only other places. Uh, Muslims have great respect to their women and women have specific high status in the religion of Islam. Uh, 
I think it is a very solid case that Islam has elevated people who were pagan, tribal, uh, continuously in war, uh, people living in the middle of the desert, having no place in the history of the world stage, to people of the highest refined con conduct that have not only led humanity through a great empire or a great nation, but has also converted the rest of humanity or a great portion of the rest of humanity to the same ethical standard just by exchanging on the human interpersonal level. Got it. Mohammed, you got about a minute and a half left. Okay, so just to quickly summarize, uh, as a closing statement, my opponents con conceded at the beginning when they said the Quran has uh, positive values and, and good values. It's actually filled with positive values and good values. There's 6, 000, over 6,000 uh, verses in the Quran. They only wanted to concentrate on five, which they misinterpreted, mistranslated, and they went down to a path where they're trying to label people terrorists because in their fake ideology, in their fake reality that gets passed down to them as a lip service, they're so happy with it and they're so content with it, which it isn't applicable to reality because whatever lip service they give you about human rights and all that, they themselves don't apply. So they couldn't look, they could. They foresaw all the greatness that comes out of the Quran and they wanted to concentrate on the times when there is trouble, like people fighting you or there's people that are stepping over your rights and how to act in those according to that, right? And how to defend the honor of God. So when people are insulting God on how to treat those people, but they didn't want to talk about the actual topic of the debate, which was interpersonal conflict or interpersonal relationship. It's with how a person like not, a state leader or, or, or people that we are not okay, our everyday life on how to uh, treat people in commerce, in businesses, on to how to write loan agreements, on how to treat our families, how to treat our neighbors, how to treat uh, people that come into our everyday life. The and Quran is full of wisdom when it comes time. to that. So thank you for conceding the debate. Thank you very much. We'll kick it over to David and Nuria. Um, Fight Those Who Do Not Believe in Allah, in a book that claims to be perfectly clear in its commands that is very, very dangerous. There was some talk about uh, dhimmis, the meaning of the word dhimmi having some positive uh, connotations. This is the commentary of Ibn Kathir. Uh, Paying jizya is a sign of kufr and disgrace. Allah said until they pay the jizya, if they do not choose to embrace Islam with willing submission, in defeat and subservience, and feel themselves subdued, disgraced, humiliated, and belittled. Christians and Jews are to be disgraced, humiliated, and belittled. That's according to Ibn Kathir. That does not sound like a positive uh, meaning of our status. And keep in mind, we have it better than others. We're people of the book, so we actually have it better than you know atheists or, or Hindus. Um, so Allah claims to be clear in his commands, and he says things like fight those who do not believe. And then the solution to this is to go to earlier revelations that have been abrogated and say, well, that's that's what Allah really means. And the, the thing here is no Muslim would accept this if the situations were reversed. If, if, if some politician came out tomorrow and said, fight those who believe in Allah. Muslims would rightly say, what, what in the world are you talking about? If someone came out and said, do not take Muslims as friends, Muslims would rightly be outraged. But imagine them, uh, imagine them uh, objecting and saying, how dare you say fight those 
who believe in Allah. And imagine people saying, oh, but, you know, if you go back to something earlier that this guy said years earlier, it's actually not not as bad. No one would accept that as a response. Um, Allah's final marching orders are to violently subjugate the world because of what people believe. Uh, that is the only interpretation that makes it. This is not something that Christians came up with. This is not something that atheists came up with. This is according to Muslim interpreters who are not reinterpreting the Quran to bring it in line with what they want to believe in the 21st century. You got it, Nuria, anything? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, just as Ahmed was saying, a sense of ummah, the community or brotherhood, it might seem like a positive hallmark, one of the nice traits of the Quran, but it practically plays out as bigotry. Uh, the Quran observes if Muslims don't have this tight-knit community, their ideal to have a universal Islamic state and transformation will never come true, and the world will continue to reek of mischief. Without the ummah and a sense of brotherhood, Muslims will not successfully face the forces that are against Islam. The Quran says in Surah Al-Anfal 873, the unbelievers are protectors of one another. Unless you do this, protect each other, there will be tumult and oppression on earth and great mischief. I need you all to understand that their constant striving and struggle in the cause of the Islamic values and social change is essential to their very criteria of their faith. As David said, Islam has war against non-Muslims. Muhammad was accepting sex slaves and gifts such as Maria the Copt. He bought and sold slaves and slavery was also progeny and slavery. The son of a slave would remain a slave. Muhammad did not change any of that. There are not enough redeeming qualities to the Quran to negate all the oppression and misogyny and violence that it perpetuates. No minority is safe under the guidance of the Quran and Sharia. You got it. Thank you very much for that closing statement. We're going to jump into the Q&A. I want to say, folks, our guests are linked in the description. If you haven't checked out their links, you can open up an extra tab right now as you do not want to miss out on their content. And even if you disagree with them, hey, might be good to understand more of what you disagree with. So this one coming in from, do appreciate it, T. Dak Jordan says, verse 60 verse 8, so Surah 60 verse 8 says, Allah does not forbid you from those who do not fight you because of religion and do not expel you from your homes from being righteous toward them and acting justly toward them. Indeed, Allah loves those who act justly. I think that's for you, David and Maria. All right. Go, David. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we, we've, already, we've already discussed uh, that passage um, at length. Um, Ahmed has given us uh, his understanding and... Uh, I've responded. So may maybe they posted that before we had that discussion. You got it. Probably. This one from Deep Drinks Podcast says, This debate is over with one verse, Quran 40, verse 34. Let me pull that up. In the meantime, I'll read this next one. Deep Drinks Podcast also said, Naria is dropping bombs. And Thunderstorm, I'm going to pull that verse, but I'll, I'm going to come back to it. Thunderstorm, in the meantime, said, Most of the Muslim world is a life of poverty and suffering. You were better off with your ancient gods, with beautiful kingdoms and cities. Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, if kingdoms and cities uh, uh, made anything uh, 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 good or bad, then why did Christianity come to the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire had great uh, cities and everything. Uh, it, it, we are not here to live this world into uh, great cities and homes. We are here to live this world in a righteous way, 
and either deserve paradise or hellfire. This is this this is this what I, I would expect would be my answer and that of David Wood also. But uh, religion is something different from living uh, in a big palace and and having no uh, values. Yeah, Even though Muhammad would get most of the booty of it anyway, yeah. Uh, just to add on to that, it's uh, like Islam. The one of the verses is God created us to work, so He's testing us who's the best of us as workers. So we we're not here to enjoy our time, and, and we're here to make the world a better place. And it's not about the things that we have; it's what we're doing with the things we have. So when it comes to a Christian value, where it's we're in this world, uh, we're in this world. We're not off. We're not off this world. We're in this world to make it better. That's literally what Islam is. So it goes back to the verse in the Quran when it says, like, do you debate us or do you argue us, argue to us about God when we have our actions and you have your actions? We believe what brought what was brought down to us. We believe what you have, but we're loyal to God. So that's why we're submitters. We're, we're completely as loyal as we can to be God. So that's not about the stuff that we get. It's about our relationship with our creator. He has all the world. Like He makes our world a, a better place. Mohammed, could I ask you a question on that? Have you have you read the hadith which says you know you talk about the best of people and and Muslims that their job is workers, uh, the the Sahih Bukhari four five five seven which says you true Muslims are the best of peoples ever raised up for mankind, means the best of peoples for the people as you bring them with chains on their necks till they embrace Islam. Well, that kind of goes against to what was I was saying. So to me, I'm not I'm not a person that takes these hadith as something that it's applicable to all times. The Quran is applicable to all times. The hadith has its place. So there's yes, and during wartime, when I'm doing the actions in awareness of God, and then I'm fighting a people that are hurting me, at that point, the best action that I can do is fight. So yeah, I'll bring them to chains and pull them down and put them down if they're trying to extinguish the light of God. So it's for you, you're twisting it. It's not about me going and attacking. God doesn't like those that transgress. But if you transgress against me, the wisdom and the action of the time is to fight back. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna fight however you're fighting me. I don't understand where the problem is that. So if like the Americans fight or the Western people fight, they're not terrorists. But when we fight back, now we're terrorists. Then you say the opposite, like, of course, I'm not going to initiate the greeting, obviously following your prophet Sunnah, right? He didn't initiate the greeting. And you said, of course, I wouldn't. Why would I wait for them to greet me? So how in all of this are you Muslims the better people or the bigger people? How are you promoting good interpersonal values when you can't even summon up the the, the cheek to say, oh, assalamu alaikum to somebody that doesn't believe in your religion? Are you that petty? I'll give you a chance to respond, Mohammed, and then we've got to go to the next question. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I just oh, wait, 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 one second. I, well, one second. I, I just wanted to, uh, to for Muhammad's going to respond uh, to kind of uh, there's there's an additional part to that. It's not just don't greet people until they greet you first. It's force them to the narrowest part of the road as well. So you're, you're walking down the street. Um, and th- this this wouldn't be this wouldn't be everywhere in the world, but let's say in a in a in a place that's dominated by Muslims, you're walking down the street. A Jew or a Christian is walking uh, past you. You force him to a certain part of the road before you greet him. So you're you're actively mistreating and persecuting him because of his beliefs, and then seeing if he greets you. And so I was just just wondering. It looks like Nuria wanted you to what wanted your thoughts on that hadith. So, so what? Okay, based on what you just said, what's what's your uh, interpretation when God says, "Do not debate with the people of the book, except with what you can find as best." Like, so don't and and do not like say negative things and bad things to them unless they oppress you. 
So you're taking to maybe specific events where it is applicable. If me and you are fighting, right? I'm more loyal to your God. So your God is my God. There is only one God. We're trying to get closer to that God, the God of Abraham. So if you're showing this loyalty and you're saying insultive stuff about God, and me and you started to fight, at that point, I'm not even going to put you in the corner of the road. I'm going to make sure you don't even get close to me, not in physical ways, but I'm going to I'm going to try to abuse you because you're trying to abuse what, what God told you not to do. You're breaking your own religion at that point. It's a sense of loyalty, and this is what the world is about. If you're not loyal to the country that you're living in and you're showing uh, like ways to, to, to hurt the people around you, they're going to jail you. Got to jump to the next one. This one coming in. Oh, that's right. So this one came in earlier from Deep Drinks Podcast. says, this debate is over with one verse, Quran 4.34. It's actually a little bit harder for me compared to looking up like New Testament or Old Testament verses. I think this is the verse that corresponds with 4.34. Four thirty four. Four thirty four is 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 the verse that says um, that if you're if you fear different translations will say you know rebellion or something like that from your wife, then you first warn her, and then if that doesn't work, again assuming that this is escalating, uh, you warn her, banish her to beds apart, and then beat her. Let's see. The the way I've and this is hard for me because it's. This is really long. It's like a whole paragraph, which is why I'm. But I've checked multiple websites to be sure that I've got the right one. But let's let's take it on what David had said, Muhammad in Finding Truth. I want to give you guys a chance to respond since David already spoke. Yeah. So um, just a little comment. It is not consensus with Muslims that you do not return salam to a non-Muslim. Actually, Ibn Mas'ud, Abu Darda, Abu Umama, and Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the famous caliph, had no issue with it. It's probably contextual because Jews in Medina at a point of time were twisting the words of salam, making it sam, which means death. So probably the context was don't start until you listen to what the kind of salam that is throwing at you so that there is no animosity. But later when Islam was established and Muslims and Christians became part of the community, uh, there are other adillah and other ahadith that says that there is no issues with and, and the, 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 actual, the actual doing of prominent sahaba like Ibn Mas'ud, they had no issue with it. So this is just to, to close that other point. Now, um, Surah 4, Ayah 34 is talking about uh, treatment um, uh, of uh, wives, actually. So, uh, yeah. So, it, it, okay. So if you, if you compare that to, I don't know, uh, Western uh, uh, secular standard, you will have an issue. Uh, if David compares it to his own religion, I'm not sure if he will have an issue or not. If there was a Jew sitting here comparing it to his own religion, I'm not sure he will have an issue or not. But anyway, the Islamic concept is that um, the family is a unit. The family solves its issues inside the family. There are specific authorities given, given to the, uh, the wife and the husband in terms of dealing with the internal issues of the family. However, it is not like, for example, Nathan Ria said that the uh, right, for example, to make divorce is unilateral. If a woman does not like her husband, she can actually seek divorce. If the husband does not like to give divorce, she can actually seek khula and get out of the family. Is it true that in the Quran, in that specific ayah, there is a hierarchy or there is a step-by-step uh, way to deal with disobedience in the family from the part of the wife towards the husband. Yes, it is true. The three steps that are described in the Quran are in the Quran. I cannot be uh, 
uh, honest and say, no, they are not, or reinterpret them. I don't like this way. However, I can tell you uh, um, how the prophet, the uh, grand interpreter or commentator of the Quran, uh, handled this verse. Uh, the prophet himself, at a point of, the, of time, before the ayah came down, prohibited hitting of wives altogether. Uh, and then a specific incident happened, and then this ayah came down. And the Prophet's sunnah is that uh, if he wants to punish, he will poke with a suwak as a way to explain that it has, it has gone beyond uh, uh, reason or beyond uh, um, uh, 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 being able to talk about it. Uh, when things went completely Tada. out of line, the Prophet would actually uh, not talk to his women. Uh, it has not been recorded at any point of time that he has hit his women. You so got this it. is my comment on that. Yeah. Thank you very much. This one coming in from James. Sorry, can I respond to that, or do we not have time? If it's really short and pithy, because you've okay. got a good enough okay, questions. Really, really, really quick. Uh, Ahmed, the the khulla is a later development that we see in countries like Tunisia, Pakistan, all of this. It doesn't come directly out of the Islamic scripture. And second of all, what you're trying to make excuses for and gloss over is the fact that the Quran enshrines domestic violence, whether there's a hierarchy or not. Uh, the miswak thing that you talked about is literally how like depraved this is because they talk about the same miswak that they would use to tame chattel and animals with, is the same thing that they'd use to beat their wives. Then there's the difference between the stipulation to beat your wives differently from how you'd beat your sex slaves as well. So um, essentially the prophet had so many instances when he could have changed this or repudiated you know, you, a wife you, you, beater, but he I didn't. I'm, I'm no, is a I give you a super pithy response, but I've got to go to the next one. Yes, yeah, exactly. The thing and that it's like is a toothbrush. Would, it's like it's like this pencil. Okay, <laughs> it is not a hitting. It's not a hitting tool. Yes, by, by but the the <laughs> yes, but the branches of the miswak, which is made of a twig that they clean their teeth with, Bedouins, right, is also what they would use on a scale to whip their shuttle. I don't know if you've read the no, Surah, but they would. Miswak, miswak is only used for brushing teeth. It's not used for but anything else. But the twig, else. you know what I'm talking. What's miswak? I, I know. I, I know. Where does it come from? It's a it is, or what? Yeah, it is. It, miswak when it's when it when it's uh, when you use the word miswak, you mean a toothbrush. If you want to to refer to the um, to the twig, you say arak, which is the name oh. of the tree. You don't oh, say I, miswak. I stand corrected. So, Thank you, Ahmed. So, so, but, yeah, but, the, so. but the domestic violence remains the. The, the word might be different, sorry, but the domestic violence remains. You the little toothbrush interpretation makes no sense because I mean, we read Sahih al-Bukhari and we see a woman being beaten until her skin turned green. Um, the idea that, you know, this is just a little uh, little tap with a toothbrush to, to show that things have gone too far um, doesn't seem to fit some of the descriptions of how severe these beatings were. And Omar ibn Salab said the Prophet said to not ask a man why he beats his wife. Um, and screams were heard from Umar's uh, house. So I guess it's more than a toothbrush. But yeah, sorry, go ahead, James. No problem. All this one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Seville says, funny how a Christian's best friend is an atheist. How do you like that insult, David? Naria is your best friend. This well, we're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not. We're not best friends, but yet we, we're we're friends, and the 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 fact of the matter is, um, we're we're on the same side of this issue. Uh, this 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 book calls for the violent subjugation or execution of Christians, um, Jews, atheists, 
Hindus, Yazidis, Zoroastrians uh, across the board. So, I mean, if we're talking about um, what this what this book teaches, as far as we're concerned, we're all in this. I mean, we're we're all in the same boat here. We're on the we're on the same side. You got it. And this book, book as that- well is empty because there's nothing in the Quran for women. So if the common denominator is that book, David and I definitely are on the same side until it calls for <laughs> yeah things against us. Yeah, that's why we are. Sure, but that book says that those who ally with disbelievers, non-believers, they are them. So you aligning with an atheist is just proving that you're an atheist, David. No, so, yeah, but that that's a, that's an Islamic claim that if you if your friends. By the way, thank you for admitting that it means friends. Um, by the way, uh, it, it, notice notice it, you that's ally, your that's your atheist, book. You're an atheist. So notice notice the interpretation. If you take an atheist as an ally, that means you're an atheist. So if uh, Muhammad just admitted that if he takes anyone else as an ally uh, in any situation, here here's something I agree with this person on, then that person is now some other system of belief. So notice, if I, uh, I notice that on Ahmed's channel, he talks about um, a lot of scientific issues, and I've already invited him on. Imagine I invite Ahmed on, and I say, hey, why don't we talk about scientific evidence for the existence of God. We'd be allies in proving the existence of God, but according to you, and according, of course it is. If we're, if we're, that's not allyship. allyship. Having, in the sense, in the sense that you just applied to me and me and Nuria, we disagree on a lot of things. We agree on, we agree on this. You've said that makes us allies. Well, guess what? Me and me and and Ahmed, uh, notice if if I did that with if I did if I took uh, Ahmed as and as part of an alliance and hey we're going to defend the existence of God that would make him a Christian according to you then notice you, you're you're, no, no, no. you're pointing on, out on. some of the problems with with your it's, book here. It's not about pointing problems with my books. If he allies with you and he takes you as an ally to go fight against disbelievers and atheists, even by words and debates. We're, 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 we're At that point, he's still in line. But if you're going to go with someone who denies your God and denies your Lord, and, and at that point, how are you showing loyalty to Lord? Because me and Amin, we're doing this in the name of God. Who are you doing this in the name of who? Because you're going with someone who completely disregards the fact that God exists and that give, there's a day of judgment. Want to give uh, and your, the last your, your, we gotta go. Yeah, your, your book calls for our violent subjugation. I mean, if there were, if, if, if Nuria and I were in the same building and it were on fire and it's burning up, we would probably try to help each other get out of there. Why? We're, we're, we're all human beings. It wouldn't be, oh, you're an atheist. I can't help you because then I'd be an ally if we're helping, if we're trying to get out of this flaming building or something like that. But uh, I would help you too. So you see, you're putting things that are incorrect because if you save an innocent soul, it's like you save the whole world. Well, so we're innocent now. Of awesome. Must go. We're innocent. I, I hate no, to do this, but it's just because the original Super Chat was meant to uh, indict... David, for being friends with Nuria, i got to give him the last word. This one from Coffee Mom says, Can you advocate for Islam and not be a misogynist? I have a feeling that was kind of rhetorical, but we'll give you a chance to respond. Yeah, I can advocate for Islam and not be a misogynist, of course. I, I can do it at least. <laughs> <laughs> or I can die trying. <laughs> no, you can't. You will not die trying because if you have this discussion with me, it's just a different paradigm. Islam, like Christianity, like Judaism, like Hinduism, like all revelations coming from God, puts a specific hierarchy in the management of society. 
this one and, coming in. Uh, the only the only thing is that secular world has put all the controls at the level of the government. It is unnatural. You got it. This one from Dashia Hewitt. Let me know if I pronounced it right. It says it's a reason why it was called pre-Islamic. Judaism and Christianity was in Arabia first. You can't tell me they didn't influence Islam when we can see it for ourselves. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who that's. I don't know who that's directed at. Uh, I, I would say. I would say indisputably there were all kinds of things. And, and you know, our friends can respond here. But um, oh, excuse me. I don't want to call you friends because that might. Wait, no. Okay. No. Uh, uh, Ahmed. Ahmed. I could call you a friend because you were like, I don't know. What, I don't know if that would uh, throw throw Muhammad off. But uh, uh, yeah. So I mean, Islam really looks like just a like a collection of the things that were circulating around Muhammad during his time. So you had, you had Jewish monotheism there. Uh, you had all sorts of teachings about um, Jesus and Mary and so on circulating in Arabia. You had um, various beliefs about the Kaaba and the rites that, that were performed there. You had, um, you had uh, even teachings about, you know, Hori's and paradise and so on. Islam looks like everything was just collected into a big ball and, and uh, claimed to be from a prophet. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Samir Farsane says, Nuria, you are wrong. Islam does not say not to greet non-Muslims. Quran 4.96 says, do not say to those who greet you, you are not Muslim. So, are you lying for your cause? You just used, uh, let me know if you pronounce this right, Takiyah? Muslim, don't. I, I, I can't. I can't I can't tell if this is if this is a joke or not when when we when we talk about when we when we when when she brings up the statement um, do not greet the people do not give the people of the book the greeting first force them to the narrowest part of the world that's a quote from Muhammad that, that's a quote that's a quote from Muhammad so if, if we're if we're making it up if, if Nuria is making it up if this was a serious claim and not a joke then uh, then the claim would be that Nuria actually has a time machine. She went back in time, inserted this into the Muslim sources on the on the lips of Muhammad, and that it's a it's all a lie. Yep, and there's also a funny story. I think it's Omar ibn Khattab's son actually said uh, "Assalamu alaikum" to a Jew, and then realizes that he shouldn't have, and he runs back and says, "Give me my greeting back." Um, yeah. So that's how seriously he, they take this. He accidentally greeted a, a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got this one coming in from, do appreciate it. Sarah Rainey says, can a Muslim love a non-Muslim from their heart? Can they, Ahmed? Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't th I don't think there is an issue there. Actually, I have quoted to, uh, to David during our uh, conversation that it is a prediction of the Quran that Muslims and Christians, specifically Christians who identify as Christians, not Christians who are Christians in the uh, birth certificate or something. People like David who identify as Christians um, are destined uh, to uh, uh, have great relations with Muslims. And on the individual level, the level this should be the case. Uh, going back to the question about Islam and Judaism, sorry, Judaism and Christianity being in Arabia, Islam considers itself part of a continuum that started uh, uh, from Adam and then to Abraham and then to Moses and then to Jesus. So Islam does not see itself as a distinct uh, 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 star in a constellation. It sees itself in a continuum and all of those prophets are prophets of the same religion. It's the religion of Allah. Allah is in Arabic uh, the name of God. And Egyptian Christians, for example, and 
Christians who are of the Arabic tongue call uh, Allah uh, their God too. So there is no there is no there is no distinction uh, per se. Muslims and non-Muslims. At a point of time, the Prophet asked the Muslims to go to Abyssinia, uh, Ethiopia now, to enjoy a peaceful life under the reign of a king who is a Christian just king. And I don't think any of the Muslims who went there hated the man for, for, for giving offering them protection. You got it. Thank you very much for this question. Samir Farsane says, Wali, W-A-L-E-E, quote-unquote, means someone who can act on your behalf and protect you. Allah said, Allah is the Mala, it's M-A-W-L-A, Mala, Mala of believers. Did non-Muslim protect Uyghur and Syrians and Sudan, Sudanis and Myanmarians? Am I saying that right? Says, Myanmarians. Thank you. It says Allah was right after all. Yeah, so, so the, the claim here is that, um, uh, so Wali, so Aliyah, we were talking about that earlier. So the claim here is that it, it refers to someone who can act on, on your behalf and protect you. And, you know, from our earlier discussion, uh, there are the Aliyah of Allah. So these would be people uh, acting on behalf of Allah and protecting him. Uh, and so the, the, the response here is that, ah, are non-Muslims protecting the, the Uyghurs who are who are being persecuted in China? Well, following that reasoning, I mean, Muslims aren't protecting them either. What are Muslims doing? You have Muslims who are speaking out against how uh, Uyghurs are being persecuted, but but so are so are non-Muslims. I made multiple videos uh, condemning the treatment of Uyghur Muslims um, in China. But there, there there is this ongoing problem. By the way, notice if if you take this seriously. So look at what this person is saying. This person is saying. Um, you, look, Uyghurs are being uh, mistreated and abused by uh, by Chinese communists. Therefore, Allah is right. Do not take um, Jews and Christians, which that's not who's doing that over there. Don't take Jews and Christians as your uh, awliya. But I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, if if I if I were to see if I were to see. Um, Ahmed walking down the street and I would say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go fight Ahmed because of something. Guess what? People are going to protect him, right? Police are going to protect him. And, that, and that's that's one of the scary implications of this verse. Don't take Jews or Christians as uh, protectors, someone who can protect you. Like what? Police officers, like uh, politicians, um, paramedics. Don't take Jews and Christians as they because, you know, they be in a position to protect you. Doesn't seem like good um, interpersonal relations. Finish the verse. This one coming in from Samir Farsane strikes again. He's got your number, David. He says, David, look at the camera with a straight face and repeat after me. Quote, unquote, I didn't just brush the violence of Christianity under the rug and misquote Islam. I don't recall talking about Christianity, so nothing to do with <laughs> what are you talking about. This so one. I didn't just bru- I didn't just brush <laughs> the violence of Christianity under the rug because I wasn't talking about it. So this, this one from upside down guy says, "Do you think Muslims <clears throat> did or would do nine eleven as told?" I don't know if they mean like what proportion of Muslims on the planet would. I guess that's what that's my best guess of what they mean. 
I mean, I'd like to posit to Ahmed and Mohammed the fact that any perpetrators of 9-11 would claim to be inspired or potentially be inspired by the Quran. I think there's a problem there to unpack, but over to you guys. Well, it's got to have to first prove it was like a Muslims that were perpetuating and made September 11 and it wasn't the U.S. government. So it's okay if, if, okay, if, well, if we don't gonna, find the proof. We're going to go into Muslim conspiracies right now. Osama bin Laden, when he was hiding up in the mountains, he openly said, we are going to declare war on America. And why is that? Obviously, he had his own reasons with Saudi Arabia, but it all comes down to the Kuffar versus the Muslim. Am I correct? I'm talking about September 11. I'm not talking about what Osama bin Laden said because yes, there's videos saying that Osama bin Laden saying that we're not responsible for September 11. But it's okay. You cherry pick what you want. Oh, and yeah, okay. And you bury your head in the sand, and, and you know you think your book gives amazing interpersonal conduct when people can use that to fly into buildings. But sure, this one from... it was Americans flying into buildings. So I don't know what you're talking about. Coffee Mom oh. says, "Can they address the relationships between men and women?" Um, I, I want to respond to the matter of the 9-11. I don't think there is anything anywhere in the Sunnah or the Quran that commands any Muslim on the face of the earth to commit something like 9-11, regardless if Muslims did it or not. This is irre irrelevant. The question is, would they do it again? So let's say they didn't or they didn't do it before. It's irrelevant. There is nothing in the Sunnah and or the Quran that tells Muslims to go and blow up a building that is used for civilian use. It, it, it has... It has no reference whatsoever anyway. Ahmed, if it Ahmed, had, are, you, are you expecting the Quran to say on September 9th, please hijack two planes? This was not the question, Nuria. I think the question yeah, was that, whether, whether the, I think the question was whether this action is acceptable or not to the to the Islamic doctrine, and it is not acceptable. It is because they 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 had to they had to deal with this issue when, when the issue came up of whether it's appropriate to use uh, catapults in fighting, knowing that the catapults could hit people who weren't fighting and so on. And Muslims declared that it that it was acceptable, um, but uh, but I mean the 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 justification that was presented by Al Qaeda is that if uh, if people are making mischief in Muslim lands, that's a death penalty, according to Surah 5, verse 33 of the Quran. But in Islam, the people who fund or make it possible to wage war in a Muslim land are equally responsible. That goes back to Muhammad, who said uh, that it's not just the, the jihad warrior who gets a reward for what he's done. It's the person who's funded him to do that. And so the reasoning of Al-Qaeda is that the United States military is making mischief in Muslim lands, but who's make, who makes it possible for the U.S. military to make mischief? The American taxpayer, and that why, that's why it's perfectly acceptable to just uh, to do things like 9-11. So I, I would just, I know, I know you're going to disagree with the interpretation. My only point is they seem to have a point there as far as they're reconciling that with Islamic so teachings. In, in, and in the collateral damage also back to the Hadith. In, in two sentences, uh, catapults are used to encircle or to uh, uh, conquer fortresses, uh, typically, uh, or fortifications around cities. So the context is different. This is number one. And number two, when Muslims were fighting the Romans, for example, and they went after defeating the Roman army or within, they did not attack the population that was paying taxes to the Roman army. Paying taxes to your enemy does not make you part of your enemy. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. I want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. So 
You can always check those out. The Muslim apologist says the guy, let's see, that's weird. Say, brothers, you are doing a, this is a different one. It says, brothers, you are doing a great job. Contact me after the debate. In particular, they're referring to you, of course, Muhammad and Finding Truth. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, ES1002 says, Theus, are you only good so you can get to go to heaven? Can you repeat that again? They say, Theus, those of you who believe in a God, are you only good because you want to get into heaven? Um, so, so that would apply to three of us here. I'll go. Yeah, ahead and, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, me, me, no. Um, I try, I try to do the right thing because there is a right thing to do. But um, if God told, because it, there are atheists who use this as an accusation and say, ah, in in religion, you're only being good because you think it's going to get you points um, later. Uh, that that's that's not that's not my moral view. I, I believe in a combination of divine command theory, natural law, and virtue ethics. But if the Almighty came to me right now and said, David, sorry, you're, you're, you're not going to heaven under any circumstances, I'd still try to do the right thing because it's the right thing. You got it. Anybody else? Yeah, my answer, my answer would be no and yes. Uh, so uh, I, I would like to do the right thing because right things typically make you happy. But yes, because you will not have an exclusive set of uh, independently verified things that are right without a reference. And you get to choose your reference. So David chooses Christianity, I choose Islam. Maybe something in Islam or versus Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism is right in Islam and wrong somewhere else, or wrong in Islam and right somewhere else. I would not, for example, put money in the uh, in the bank and take fixed interest. It is a crime in Islam uh, because it, it causes specific uh, uh, backlashes to society. So the answer is there is no specific definite way to be good unless with a reference and religious people use religion as their reference. So the answer would be yes, if you look at this perspective, uh, well, in my, also, um, yeah. also, just to add on to it from a, another theist, for me, it's it's not about the reward at the end. It's like me as a human being, I'm a social person. I, I, I like experiences of love, uh, affection, and being close to somebody. And nobody can fill that uh, requirement other than God. It's my relationship with God is that what drives me to do good to other people to, to, because it just rewards me with such a positive and fulfilling feeling. And you could find that in all the religions, and that's all the religion is preaching you, because it's not about your reward in the end. The reward is technically still being in God's grace. That is my heaven, is the fact that I can speak to God without having like, uh, you know, like debating myself in regards to certain topics. And in in the love that I, I have for my God, it's it's nothing can compare. Like my, my biggest fear is losing that relationship. It's like God is telling you don't drink. So, but okay, maybe alcohol looks like fun for a little bit, but then I have a fear that, you know, what if God, like that relationship and that love towards God starts to go away? And then at that point, I'll, I'll feel empty because I, I know how it felt to be empty before. And I don't want to have that feeling ever again. My Like, I love my mom, but it doesn't compare to that relationship with someone who's always there with me. And whatever bad is happening, it's because of my own direct input or someone else's input. And God is there to save me when, when I need it. So I don't know why these debates like take so long, but it's. It's literally it's like the best relationship you can ever have with anybody. And so that's with God. So that's why I'm a... You got it. It's not for Thank you very much for this question as well. Here is Palmer says, Will the Muslims debaters ever marry a nine-year-old? Or would they if they were 
unmarried right now, if you're married right now. Would he go to Japan and marry a 13-year-old? Because that's the age of consent in Japan. At least that's well, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, my, my comment is that uh, uh, marriage in Islam is not related to age. Marriage in Islam is related to puberty. And this has been the universal law, regardless Muslims or not, even Christians or Jews or whoever. Uh, women and men should not marry before they reach the age of puberty. It is, not, it is false that Islam does not have an age barrier uh, towards marriage. It is a natural barrier. It is naturally not connected to age. Age of puberty can be 15, can be 9, can be 20. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make, make a difference. It's puberty that makes somebody can marry or not. We might need to discuss Surah 65, verse 4 at, at some point. And because, and not just because we'd be misunderstanding it, but because, I mean, given what you just said, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Abbas, the two Jalals, even uh, 20th century Muslim scholars like Maududi, uh, right up into uh, the popular da'is like Muhammad Hijab inter interpret Surah 65, verse 4, as referring to uh, marrying and divorcing prepubescent girls. David, let's cut this short. How old was Isaac's no. wife in the Bible? Uh, no, doesn't um, doesn't doesn't say, but she was she was certainly old enough to uh, no, no, no. take to take care it. of ten it's, camels. No, it doesn't. It's very, cl it's very clear how Who? old Rebecca was. Oh yeah, get, yeah. Get chapter and verse. Go, no, no, no. It's very clear if you look at Chap the logic. Chapter and she verse. Was three years old. Chapter and verse. I will bow down and recite the Shahada if you show me she was three years old. You said the Chapter same thing about the gospel, and we showed you plenty of proof. You showed me didn't. zero. You showed me never. You never show me one verse, okay, and now you're just lying. Like, Chapter and so verse. It's very simple. Chapter such and such. Verse such and such. There is enough. I will recite. I will bow down and, and recite the lying. Shahada. If, if the moon split. Chapter and verse. Prove me lying. Prove me lying. Prove me lying. Chapter and verse. It's not about chapter and verse. The Bible is very clear on how Rebecca. <laughs> Let's see it. Let's see it. Give us, give us the verse. I, I, I agree. But note, she's repeatedly oh, called. See? She's repeatedly called. She? She's repeatedly called young woman. You think three-year-olds are young women? How this is what. No, notice the, the notice. And you're pulling commentaries out of your your head and whatever you like. What commentary? That's what the text says. says. It calls her. It calls her a young woman and says she, years she watered. She watered. <laughs> She watered 10 camels, a three-year-old. I have a four-year-old who couldn't water one camel. Notice the principle, ladies and gentlemen, because there's always a principle. If you tell the, this is the principle Talking in Islam, the if you, the principle is, if you, if you tell the truth about our prophet by quoting our sources, we'll lie about your prophets. And these are from people who claim to respect Abraham and Isaac lying about Abraham and Isaac saying that Abraham sent someone to get a three-year-old daughter notice it's Muhammad Muhammad married and had sex with a, with a little girl and then in response we'll say all oh, the prophets did all these horrible things what devout Muslims we are welcome to Islam this one I, I'll give you a chance uh, to quick I, I need to have Muhammad. I need to have a I need to have a, 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 a little comment uh, Islamic belief believes that uh, the rules that relate to marriage and that puberty is a condition for marriage is an ancient rule. So I don't think any prophet of Christianity or Judaism uh, had sex with a girl before puberty. This is something that is universally prohibited. Ahmed, could you quote us where the prohibition exists, where it says that, that puberty is a prerequisite to marriage? Yeah, and I'm actually happy to have a different, a separate debate about uh, this. But when you look, for example, to Surah An-Nisa, 
there is no uh, it says for example and nisa is different from inath okay nisa means a woman and a woman is different from a girl in english a woman means somebody who can be designated as good for marriage you don't call a little girl a woman woman means somebody who has been who has gone past puberty so what does okay. it mean when it says those who have not yet menstruated? Who is that referring to exactly? If you are referring to Surah Al-Talaq, ayah number four. So when I when I when I studied jurisprudence, okay, um, um, you know there can be a medical condition where a woman n- never gets the cycle. Okay, this does not prevent a woman from getting married at all. So the Islamic jurists put the age of fifteen. If somebody is not does not reach the age of puberty in a natural way, he becomes a full citizen at the age of 15, which makes him capable of doing uh, whatever an adult can do. This includes marriage, this includes control to his property uh, and other things. So uh, being, for example, accountable against a judge, etc. And so, a woman? Uh, so if a woman, for example, is married at the age of, let's say, 20, but she never got her cycle because of a medical condition. And now this surah is talking about talaq, about divorce. She needs to have her uh, months of clearance. So since she doesn't have period anyway, okay, then you will just count three lunar months. Now, some jurists, I don't know what is the reference. If they are pulling this out of their head or what, uh, are saying that this relates to if they if somebody, and I, probably there is somebody who would, who would say that, that this relates to uh, somebody, a girl who is married, and she did not reach yet the age of menstruation, and hence so and so, please prove to me in the first place that a girl can get married before puberty. This is unheard of in Islam. It's, 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 it's completely false. Uh, Aisha to Muhammad? Aisha, so there, there is a difference between signing a contract and consummation. Okay, if you, if you in any way, if you in any way, Regardless, you have uh, reached the age of puberty or not, if the marriage is not consummated, then the matter of counting the months is out of the way in all cases. So you count the months of idda only if consummation happens. Ahmed, I that, hate that, to that, That's it. correct, but yeah, it, it, gives, it gives the idda specifically for the girl who's not reached puberty. So this presupposes that the marriage was consummated with a girl before she reached puberty. Again, this is Ibn Abbas, this is Ibn Kathir, this is the two Jalals, this is Maududi, this is even, I mean, Muhammad Hijab stood there at Speaker's Corner. I mean, c- keep in mind, I would love for him to be wrong because this is horrifyingly... He is wrong. He is thank, wrong. Thank you. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad... I'm glad I. I, I think he's right, but I, I hope you're right. And I hope no, you'll, you'll I, I, I really hope I'd like, I would actually like, and I would share if, if you make a video explaining why that interpretation is wrong, because at the end of the yeah. day, even though we're, even though we're criticizing Islam, we are talking about actual people. And I would, yeah. I would like it if people didn't believe it was okay. So, to so the, re- the reason, I'm, the reason I'm saying he's wrong is that this ayah is referring to divorce. Now, if you want to see the criteria and the constraints of marriage, go to the ayat that talk about marriage. Ayat that talk about marriage talk about Nisa. Nisa is women. There is no uh, girl getting married. It's not there, simply. You cannot get married, before, consummate your marriage before you have reached puberty as a woman. You cannot have sex with a woman who did not reach uh, puberty. Otherwise, she is not defined as a woman in the first place. She remains a girl and marrying girls and consummating the marriage with, with a girl who did not reach puberty is not uh, uh, permissible.
But 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 sixty five four specifically refers to women who have not reached the age of menstruation. So it's clearly using it in a broader sense that that doesn't refer to post being you know post post pubescent. Yeah, what what I'm saying here is that what the explanation of the ayah, at least from how I I studied the ayah, is that it is referring to people who did not menstruate. But since they were married, married, they have at least reached the legal, from the Islamic perspective, age, uh, age of marriage, which if not by reaching menstruation in their cases, then would be by reaching the age of 15, for example, or an age where, okay, this is an adult. If, some, if a woman, let's, let, let's look from the woman's perspective. If a woman has a medical condition where she does not menstruate altogether, her, her ovaries are not working or her uh, genital system is not working, is she prohibited to marry for the rest of her life? If, no, if, she can marry. If that if that's what that referred to, but again, uh, I mean, in, in the commentaries, this actually referred to people um, who were specifically asking Muhammad about the divorcing um, divorcing women who who um, who didn't have a monthly cycle, and one of them was specifically asking, "What about?" girls who are too young what about girls who are too young to have a monthly menstrual cycle yeah. and that's what the so, quran verse was was responding to so it's, it, it didn't sound like it was responding to a medical condition uh the commentary specifically referred to someone who's too young to have a to have a monthly cycle so so um as i was said even if you look at that ayah and look at the beginning of the ayah it says and those who have, so it's talking about those who have uh, uh, went into despair of your women. Something of your females or of your girls is say of nisa'ikum. Nisa means women and women. a woman is a female that has, that's an adult. Yeah, but it's the neat, it's, it's the women who have, not yet reached puberty so that that's the point women, it sounds like it's talking about a, it sounds like it's sounds like a it's talking about a broader category if it's women who haven't reached puberty and again the muslim commentator says, says talking about someone who's who's too young for for a monthly it, menstrual cycle. so 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 the point is it yeah. doesn't sound like it's talking about it, only it, like it, adult women the, the the point is it doesn't say the women that did not reach puberty it says the women that did not ministrate those who have not ministrated so it is possible, you know, Quran Albus is all different possibilities. So you have a woman that did menstruate and did not reach menopause yet, a woman that did menstruate and reached menopause, and a woman that never had menstrual cycle, for example, for a medical condition. Okay? No, but all, the all three possible, word yet, possible. even yet, yeah. implies that they are going to have it in the near future. It comes under the umbrella that David was talking about when all of the tafsirs mentioned prepubescent. I mean, either Allah is a terrible communicator if he can't specify all, women all, all, in a medical very, condition, you're giving a very, very narrow, um, like, just a scapegoat to say it's it's people with a medical condition. Allah could have said that, but to leave the umbrella open like this, to no, say no, those no, who have no. not yet menstruated, is that not very, very bad foresight on Allah's part? If that means that people in Afghanistan will be selling and marrying six-year-olds, and they are quoting the Sunnah of the Prophet when they are doing so. I'll give you a chance to respond, not, and then we have to go to the next one. It, just, it is not permissible. It is not permissible in Islam to marry and consummate marriage with a little girl who is six or eight or nine so if she has not reached. So if she has not, yeah, he go. was wrong. Yeah, I've yeah. got to go. This one coming in from Samir says, "Asala muwala mulaikum is a promise of peace before being greeting." 
So if you harm a person after that promise, you're a traitor. Islam says to keep that promise. I think he's referring okay. to the matter of, of not uh, starting with salam with uh, somebody else who is not a Muslim. And um, I think he is referring to the context here one way or the other. So at a point of time, uh, uh, people of the book in Medina were having special uh, behavior of animosity that they even started saying salam in a twisted way that meant death instead of salam. So I think, and I have already explained that the, the, the doctrine of salam in the typical normal conditions is that Muslims uh, give salam to everybody. You got it. This one coming Other in. than combatants. But also Muhammad breaks treaties all the time, so I don't think breaking a promise is a big deal. Anyway. N never happened. We can have a debate about uh, war in Islam. If Muslim apologist oh. says, one of the non-Muslims here is an atheist pretending to be a Christian. How do you like them apples, David? Yeah, yeah, that's why it's uh, we, we've talked. Me and AP have talked about this before. It's like the in thing, um, like they'll 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 say I'm actually an undercover atheist pretending to be a Christian to mislead people, but then they'll talk about AP and say he's actually an undercover Christian pretending to be an atheist to deceive people. So the uh, yeah, it's just whatever you claim to be. The you know guys like uh, Mensch, that's who that is. Uh, like to say, aha, he's actually the something different from what he claims to be, just so they can try to, you know, discredit anything, any points we're, we're bringing up. But yeah. Juicy. <laughs> Sammy Veda says, and then folks, we, we can't take any more questions. We're, gonna, we're just going to read the rest of the ones that we have, and then we're going to wrap up. But this one, Sammy Veda says, quote unquote, worst of creatures, 98 verse 6, Islam commands a supremacist mindset. Muhammad agrees and justified it multiple times as they are fighting for the true God. Is this a question? It's more of a statement. I think that they're just saying Islam has a supremacist mindset is the accusation. No, I don't think Islam has uh, a mandate of relaying the truth to people, and that's what it what just wants to do, just like Christianity and just like Judaism wanted to do at their time. This one from Sibyl. And until today. Yeah. Says, David is the Trinity, the Father, in parentheses, you, the Son, and in parentheses, apostate prophet, and the Holy Spirit, Nerea. Um, no, thanks. This one from Bitter Truth says, Quranic text, do you think it's special and don't you think it was Muhammad text? As a Muslim and as somebody who is very conversant with the formal and spoken Arabic language, I can tell you that it is impossible that the Quran is narrated by a human being. This one from ES1002 says, David, I'm sorry. I meant those two, but great answer. I can't remember which. They had one earlier on, but... They give a thumbs up. Samir Farsane says, David, if Islam said God had a baby, would you attack it? What? <laughs> this one. <laughs> what? <laughs> that reminds me of the William Lane Craig uh, debate when they asked William Lane Craig if he'd prefer to be a Muslim baby or an atheist baby. Bitter Truth says, Muhammad, do you support child marriage? G-E. What's G-E? So, so I think I don't support my, uh, child marriages. Uh, my personal like view on on my religion is that just like how the Jews and the Christians they started to add some things later on that aren't part of the religion that kind of diluted people out of the way. Uh, people's reverence to certain hadith isn't correct. So 
Sahih Bukhari is Sahih in a sense that the Sanad is correct, so like the witnesses are correct, but the context doesn't mean that it's all necessarily that has to be taken with. And not everyone is taking everything that's in the Sahih. So for us, it's the Quran is the first, and the Quran is the Trump, right? And in the, the, the narrations about Aisha's age, there is some narrations that should say when she was playing with toys is when a certain verse came down, which would make her around eight years old, and this is before they even immigrated to to Abyssinia. So, so it's just like how certain things can be twisted to show a really bad image of Muhammad. Certain things can also be twisted to show a really good image or whatever the person is trying to sell. But when it comes down to the Quran, you don't have those 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 uh, misinterpretation and those issues. So when it comes to child marriages, it's it's very clear that that it's that's a, that a you're like oppressing somebody, you're going against what God has given you, and that's not something that's permissible. So, and just to answer Nuria on a point she was making earlier, uh, when God said like those that didn't uh, menstruate, and it sounds like He's saying yet yeah, because God is saying the truth, it's not lack of communication, it's ultimate communication. So He's uh, He's saying it in a sense that. They haven't menstruated, but some of them might menstruate later. So there are women where their menstruation is either really late or the fact that they couldn't have kids and all of a sudden they were able to have kids. So it's also covering that that truth. And God is speaking the complete truth in the Quran. I hope that clears some of the issues. So uh, just answering the question, it is not up to Muhammad or to me to support child marriage. I have just said something very simple and very clear. Until a woman, until a female is identified as a woman, uh, uh, unless there is a medical condition, you cannot get married. Now, France in April 2021 changed the age of, sex, uh, of consent related to sex to 15. Maybe it's still 18 in some places. Is this child marriage from the perspective, for example, of Germans or Swedes? Islam has a very simple criteria that relates to the biology of the human being. Puberty, you can marry. Before puberty, you cannot. Very simple. You got it. Thank you very much for this question. This one coming in from Bitter Truth says, Finding... But Sahih al-Bakari says Aisha was watching Ethiopian show. She hasn't reached her puberty age. It's clear Muhammad married with child. Finding truth, why aren't you admitting this, they say? I don't know if watching an Ethiopian show makes you before or be or after puberty. I, don't, I think it's completely irrelevant. Which no, is just it's young. I don't know who... The, the the in there's a there's a passage in Bukhari which says that Aisha hadn't reached puberty um in that so I, I think the it, I think you guys would read it and say she must not have been married yet or something like that like she was watching that before she was married but it says Muhammad was like shielding uh shielding her with his uh with his garment or something like that so it sounds like they were together but I'm, I'm um, it said it says she hadn't reached puberty, and so I'm, I'm assuming you guys would say then that was sometime before they were uh, they had consummated the marriage or something like that. You got it. This one, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Muslim apologist says Rebecca was three years old when she married Isaac David. Why are you upset? I think that was covered. Zagros Ozcan says is my. Is... Hey, let, 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 let. <laughs> this is so funny. You get the you get this you get this narration where um, Abraham sends his servant to get um, a wife for Isaac, goes, 
and she's 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 out doing her chores and taking care of uh, taking care of animals and so on. And then this guy shows up with ten camels, and she says, "Hey, I'll, I'll water all these camels for you." Which, which those those things can drink dozens of gallons of water each. And it says she waters them all repeatedly. Repeatedly calls her a young woman, um, and she you could tell by the conversation and so on. She's not three. I have a four year old. My goodness, I would not trust him to 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 be out in the to be out in the wilderness taking care of animals and so on. Um, but uh, it, it's it's just a weird situation because you'd wonder why would why would someone want to say aha she was three but the the only reason is because there are, there are critics who who point out that that Muhammad married a nine year old and so ah we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and and claim that that uh, Rebecca was three not realizing you are you are attacking both Isaac and Abraham in that you're saying that they both so promoted that they both promoted stupid. that they both promoted pedophilia. And again, these are people who who claim to respect the prophets. Again, you're making a mistake there where we're showing you because there's inconsistency with the Bible because of its way of translation or transmission, that there are some ways to twist the 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 the, the to twist the, the verse. Oh, you could twist it. Yeah, show, you could twist You could twist anything. Again, I agree. And this is and this is written by Jewish commentators that she, how to prove that she's three years old. Now, A, and how does this apply to this conversation is that you keep going to certain hadiths that you're misinterpreting. Which which state it. clearly that Aisha was nine years old. It's not us trying to interpret it. If no, 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 no notice, Muhammad, if you want to say those, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. If you want to say those hadiths are unreliable, you could say, Say that because I mean, keep in mind, the, you know, Bukhari is written two centuries after the time of Muhammad. There's all sorts of times for things to be messed with and so on. If you're saying that, that's fine. But we're we're not misrepresenting things when we say, according to Sahih al Bukhari, Aisha was the, nine years the old. The misrepresentation, the misrepresentation is you're putting the value of those words on the same values as the word of God. So this is the word. This is some guidance that was left we, after we, Muhammad, we don't, which is hadith. we don't believe the Quran's the word of God. We don't believe that. But I, I, I would agree that. with that. You're talking to I would, I would. I, I'm agreeing with. I'm agreeing with you. The in Islam, in Islam, the Quran is the supreme authority. If a hadith contradicts the Quran, you got throw out that hadith. I agree. I would agree with you on which, that. Which this is the case here. So there's a lot of hadith that you guys use. That oh, look at this proof. It's either that hadith was for a very specific period where there's un uncertainties that were happening around with like that we don't have the full picture or the other thing is it's clearly like it's clearly uh, uh contradicting the quran and but the, are, the, the quran never says that that aisha was you know some other age this one coming it's up not, no, it's but, not in the but quran I, but the quran is saying move. do not marry prepresent prepresent like uh uh like young people so I'm really sorry. Yeah. I've got to move forward. This is Zach Rose Oscan yeah. says, in my village, a six-year-old boy can take care of 100 cows. <laughs> this one coming in from Bitter Truth says, got that one. Bitter Truth also says, saying al-Bakari hadith 6130, clearly saying Aisha hasn't reached her puberty age, Muhammad thing with Aisha when she was six, Saadi Mufti Fatwa 8-8-2000 also confirms. So the uh, debate I, was about the Quran. Like uh, this is this is what happens in these debates every time. We talk about these exact same topics as if I'm supposed to throw away my whole religion because you can't get over just one fact that we have a misunderstanding and try to discuss the Quran. 
yes, we can't get over the fact that the series says prepubescent girls. You're right. But no, no, anyway. Because you have a misunderstanding and it's not correct what so you're did, saying. So we're did here the, to talk about the Quran. So did the best Islamic scholars who have written these. They, they also ha were misguided. They didn't mean that Aisha was playing with dolls. They didn't mean that it refers to women who have not yet menstruated because they've not yet reached puberty. We don't see that in the lived example of the Prophet. Well, They're here's all the just thing crazy. that I'm trying to explain to you is just because they have things that pass down that they have to be apologetic for. It's just of a sense of fear of leaving whatever they believe. It's the exact same thing that happened to Christianity when additions had to happen or additions were added to Christianity, like saying that Jesus is the son of God. Of course, the Muslims are not going to these extremes, but they're saying things that they need to defend because that's what they were passed down to. But if you investigate the Quran, it it a, it doesn't change my life in any way, shape, or form, and it's a religion. It's supposed to be personal. And B, most of the th stuff that they're saying, the only proof is someone else said it. It's not from the word of God. I'm not putting down the, what what like the, the companions of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did and the got people it. that came after him. Mm. But some of them were bad players. You got to understand that. Just like how in Christianity, some of the people that heard the religion, they were bad players. So no, a lot you, of the you things when it came better. to Aisha, move when to it came to Aisha, it's a political issue. I swear to God, it's this a political one, issue. This one from ES1002 says, what is the relation of Muslim and ex-Muslim, Bakari 3017? Quoting a hadith just by the number is 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 very difficult. Yeah, there, there are different numbering systems. Okay, this one... even even the hadith before I couldn't respond because this this is just a number. I couldn't even hear the number. Uh, I, so, I think yeah. that's the hadith about um a, 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 a somebody who changed their religion getting burned, and uh, it was that burning somebody is not the desired punishment because that should be reserved for Allah and hellfire. So it was somebody that changed their religion. I think it's emphasizing that Muhammad said, whoever changes his religion, kill him. And somebody was reenacting that, if I'm not mistaken. This yeah, one the God, God clearly said changes our religion. There's no compulsion religion. Dasha Hewitt <laughs> says, Woods, plural, Go says, would you say you have something over people who need evidence for fictitious characters in a book? Parentheses, atheist. You do realize you only have a book, right? Um, well, thank you for calling me Woods. I know I do the work of, I know I do the work of at least two people. So, <laughs> uh, you say you have something over people who need evidence for fictitious characters in a book you do realize you only have a book right i, I don't know i don't know what this is saying um I, i'm i i don't know what it means to say i only have a book i've, I've definitely got much more than a book so i don't know what you're, I don't know what you're talking about yeah this i think it's a some not all atheists just some atheists will just like, sometimes like like i got a pen here you know I think they, they mean like they try to say like that Christians, all they have is their book says something. They don't have any sort of like arguments like the human. No, 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 that's not that you might you might disagree. With, and I mean, and and uh, by, by by looking at his uh, his YouTube channel, uh, Ahmed seems to be in the same boat. He would we would say, no, there, there are arguments for all all kinds of things. Um, at the end, we at the end of the day, we, we believe in books, but we, we believe in them for reasons. You might disagree with those reasons. Zagros Ozkan says, we've only got, uh, I think, two more here. Zagros says, youngest known pubescent in medical history was a girl less than five years old. According to Islam, is it okay to not only marry her, but also to consummate the marriage? Okay, so again, the criteria for marriage is puberty, whether for males or females. Uh, 
Now, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go and marry a six-year or seven-year-old if she has actually uh, reached puberty, because there are other criteria. So there are, like anything in life, there are necessary conditions and there are sufficient conditions. So a necessary condition for something, like marriage, for example, can be puberty, but is it sufficient or not is another question. To marry somebody, he needs to be at the intellectual and culture level and responsibility and accountability level, etc., to 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 proceed. So even for example, when when Allah in Surah in, in Surah Nisa that we have talked about some of its ayat is is talking about delivering to orphans their uh, inheritance. Okay, he he would say, uh, um, uh, not only that they have reached the age of puberty. But they can also be held accountable. They are they have become responsible people. So when somebody is looking for someone to marry, uh, he needs to see that this person is also at a good level of responsibility to marry. So if you go and just throw at the face of somebody, will you marry a six-year-old or a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old? Um, what is your criteria exactly? I think it's an unfair question. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question, Jeffrey Anderson says. Do Muslims know that the Tanakh? or what Christians call the Old Testament, and the Talmud are different things. I know yes. that they are different things, but <laughs> do all Muslims know or not? I don't know. Uh, well, one actually, a quick comment. God, God doesn't talk about the Talmud uh, because it isn't a book of God. So the Torah is the book of God, and they're supposed to get their judgments out of the Torah. So this is just for to relate some of the stuff that I was saying earlier. Because the uh, history there repeats are... itself. There are there are uh, quotations from the Talmud in the Quran, though, so it doesn't look like like the author of the Quran understood the difference between the the Torah and the Talmud. No, there is quotations that are in the Torah that they've also added in the Talmud. No, 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 no. Like like uh, Surah five verse thirty two, which uh, talks about the teaching of the Jews that if anyone killed a man, it's, if, it's as if he's killed all mankind. That's from the Talmud. That's not from the Torah. So the Islamic perspective on that, David, would be that God, who is God of the Quran, is the same God of the uh, of Judaism and Christianity. So if he says that this is something that I have revealed to Jews, it's just he revealed it. Where they wrote it is something else. Well, I mean, it's it interesting make a difference, be, be, I mean. because it, it's it's a it, because the, the 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 claim that if anyone killed a man, as if he's killed all mankind, is a was an interpretation of something in the Torah, and the interpretation was of the. It's, it's a story of Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, and then um, and then it says God says your your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and the the rabbi who's commenting said that the in in Hebrew it's actually plural bloods your bloods your brother's bloods cries out to me from the ground, and he says based on this that it wasn't just. It wasn't just Abel's blood crying out from the ground. It's it's it was all his future generations, and so that was the, so he says that that the meaning of this is that when you kill someone, you're not just killing that person; you're killing all his all his future uh, generations. But if if I were if I were defending your position, I would say that that was the correct interpretation of that verse, and so maybe it was like Im implicit implicitly yeah. contained in the Torah, and the, the Jewish rabbi brought out the meaning, and then Allah agreed with the, with the meaning. I, I, like actually, th this exact commentary was made in the Quran after the, the story of Cain and Abel. So it says, yeah, because that, that, because that, that, that's, how it, that's how it is in the Talmud. You have the story of Cain and Abel, and then, and then, it, and then it follows. Yeah. You so got it. At the end of the day, the Quran is just confirming that this is a revelation from God. Yeah.
This one coming in from, do appreciate it as the last one. Carenza says, does Islam believe that a child that has entered puberty at nine could have sex and be married to an older man over 50? Yes or no? Simple question. Kind of covered that. Mm, uh, what, what, no. what, what, yeah, I, I just wanted to add before we, uh, uh, I actually agree that, that some of these are going too far off topic and that the topic was um, about the Quran. So I think there are Quran, ver you know, like sort of 65 verse four with that, that, that we were bringing up some of these, uh, some of these issues, but it seems to have like par partially like diverged into just a big discussion of, of some of the hadiths and so on. So uh, in other words, if you guys wanted to say, Hey, we've already addressed these issues. That's, that's, that's fine. Fair. Yeah. The that, that answer is no anyway. <laughs> with that, we're going to wrap up. I want to say huge thank you to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you. David Wood, Naria, Muhammad, and Finding Truth. Their links are in the description box. If you haven't checked them out already, folks, this is a great opportunity to check out their links. And like I said, even if you disagree, this is a great opportunity to learn about a position that you disagree with so you can at least understand what you're disagreeing with clearly. So with that, I want to say one last thank you to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, James. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.